Hello and welcome to the WCW vs. NWO podcast. The podcast that analyzes, dissects, and barks like a dog-faced gremlin at one of the most important areas of professional wrestling. I'm your host, Dave, and this episode, we look at Slamory 1997. Now, I can't do this alone. If I were Jimmy Hart, these guys would be my Dungeon of Doom. First of all, Fergus Looney, how are you doing? Uh, is that a compliment? Do I actually want to be in the Dungeon of Doom? You can be Meng. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm, I'm good to go. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to give some uh, throw punching. And uh, from across the pond, Connor O'Donnell, how are you doing today? I'm good. You don't want to be Kevin Sullivan. You want to be Jimmy Hart instead? Yeah. I'll <laughs> take the lesser of two evils. Of course, of course. That joke has layers. <laughs> Have to mention also, we are uh, all drinking some beer. I'm... Oh, yeah. Feels so good. White Rascal. <laughs> that's, that's the uh, drink of choice this time. I got some vintage cider from Twisted Tree. Vintage cider, all right. I'm skipping the beer entirely. I'm drinking Jack Daniels because uh, <laughs> it's that kind of wrestling show. If any of those uh, drinks would like to sponsor the podcast, <laughs> drop us a line. No, WCW is a family show. We can't do that. Yeah, the, the, this this uh, episode screams family show for sure. But as always, a lot happened in what you guys haven't seen: the Nitros. We're going to talk to Connor for the Nitro recap. We are live chronicling the past month of WCW Monday Nitro. In our number one of this podcast, we begin with a shift of power in the war between WCW versus NWO. So J.J. Dillon, manager of the Four Horsemen back in the 80s, has been appointed as an executive on the WCW committee. When we last left off, the NWO seemed to be in disarray. Nash, Hogan, Randy, and Bischoff, they aired their grievances on Nitro, but ended up settling their differences. NWO for life, you know the whole thing. So what about Dylan and Bischoff? Who has more influence over WCW? So Bischoff is coming off his suspension, claims he can do whatever he wants. Dylan agrees. So JJ looks like an idiot. And when trying to make rulings, Bischoff just shakes it off and repeats, bite me to Dylan. And yep. In my opinion, a missed opportunity so far because you can really implement some creative ideas with, like, you know, your booking rival authority figures against each other. Yeah, that's, like, it's a classic wrestling trope to have that, the good guy and the bad guy authority. It seems certainly like a very missed opportunity. They even make mistakes in, in some promos. There, There's a live promo with Gene where they're both talking and they're having an argument and then Eric decides, well, I'm done, I'm off. But he's still in the background playing to the crowd <laughs> while JJ is trying to talk. And it just, it's really, really distracting. He's basically shitting on him and the promo is still going on. <laughs> so you can really tell who the cool one is. Yeah, it's hard to take this Dylan character seriously. I mean, going back like, oh, I can look up his history. But at the time, I'm like, who's this old fart JJ Dylan? I don't know who he is. Needs, needs somebody cool to be the, the commissioner. I need Mick Foley. Come on. I mean, I suppose it's been seven years, I guess. He was the, the horseman manager, like, so. Yeah. Like, he has extensive history. Maybe seven years is too long. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, for me, it was gro- growing up. I had no idea about the WCW history. Like I said, you can't just look at the internet this time. They don't show promo packages of the horseman or anything like that. So when he comes off and arrives on Nitro, they're saying he's a big deal, but like I don't see any reason why he's a big deal. He looks like my grandpa. I don't know. <laughs> it's just yeah. 
it's hard to be behind him, especially when Bischoff just undermines him so much. Uh, but we'll we'll see how this situation goes. Hopefully, it can improve. It's only a month into the, his run, so let's let's see how it plays out. So next, I wanted to point out this was a very unique stretch of Nitros, especially when looking back at the grand scale of history of wrestling. So we have several appearances by Hall of Fame football players. More on that later. But we also have loads of short squash matches. And my least favorite, tons and tons and tons of DQ finishes. So if you watch wrestling during this era, you're familiar with this formula. Consistent, cheap interference to continue feuds and bridge the gap until the monthly pay-per-views. A few reasons why WCW seemed to implement this strategy at, at this point in time. First, the length and time between Spring Stampede and this show, I had to watch a total of six Nitros in preparation. It was a lot of shows to cover. And luckily, the NBA playoffs shortened Nitro to only one hour at one point. But also, <laughs> that plays a key factor for WCW to fit in as many storylines as they could into one hour. So all this kind of comes together to make sense. And I haven't watched the Raws around this time, but according to the dirt sheets, WWF is following this kind of pattern, this style of booking and TV. So just fascinating stuff to see this style of wrestling manifest itself in our timeline. Yeah, we're, we're very used to nowadays or over the last while since I've like started watching two to three hour productions and complaining about how long it is and stuff getting drawn out to really jam so much stuff in and keep so many people, keep heat on the right people continuously while having to pay it off in the pay-per-view. People are still paying insane amounts of money for pay-per-views back then. You need to give them a worthwhile finish. So you can't just have all these DQ finishes and pay-per-views, or you would think you couldn't. <laughs> so, so they have to jam a lot of it in during the weekly shows, and that, that does not sound very watchable week to week. Like you, you sound like you have more common sense than the WCW bookers right now. Uh, <laughs> right now, or... I mean, how you're explaining it, how the, the process of it. And I'm like, I'm not even sure they're following this. What are you talking about? <laughs> Somewhere Russo's taking notes. <laughs> oh. so Gus what, what do you think about the, this time in wrestling because I remember as a kid you know I got into wrestling huge into the late 90s but this type of booking really set me off because it's like why are we watching I know somebody's going to interfere at some point like there's never a clean finish seems ever this is like the weird kind of it's a real in-between point because they're just starting to do the whole ratings war properly so they're making a lot of changes because they're like oh well we can't just run squash matches anymore. We can't do them all the time because people won't want to watch that. They want to watch the stars. And if we don't have them, they'll have them and then they'll switch over the TV. That's at least the theory. So they were kind of phasing them out, which then means you have people interacting all the time. So you have to figure out some ways of making sure that you don't run through the matches so quickly. It seems that even 20 years later, they still haven't figured this out properly because they're still not doing a very good job of it. <laughs> but yeah, I like I don't remember particularly enjoying watching the matches as a kid. Like for the most part, it was only really the three or four guys that you were into, so like obviously when you're growing up and you're watching WWF, it's going to be like Rock's match and Austin's match and then DX once they kind of came around. And you kind of just slogged through the rest of it, I think. I think but because of how much it changed and how much stuff they, they started throwing against the wall just to see what worked, you kind of just accepted it after a while, I think. <laughs> I tried I tried to, but that, it, was, it was the ultimate demise of me just stop watching wrestling, actually. Damn that, Russo. Despite the fact that it's probably one of the most 
popular eras, it's not a good era for wrestling for the vast majority of it. Well, luckily, the great positive out of all this is Hogan is he does his usual I'm gone because ratings are down because of the NBA playoffs. I'm going to go shoot movies and things like that. So Hogan, nowhere to be found on all these nitros. But last but not least, the sting update, of course, he has upped his baseball bat budget. He now comes to the ring with baseball bats for everybody to fend off the NWO. <laughs> <laughs> you got a bat. You got a bat. Everybody gets a bat. And he would like throw <laughs> he would throw the bats to people and they would catch them. It was actually kind of cool when, when that would happen. Yeah, they showed us a, a segment like four or five times on one of the nitros. <laughs> yeah, fun to watch for sure. And there was also a rumor that the commentators were trying to push that Sting was going to break his silence. Of course he doesn't. WCW just wants them sweet, sweet ratings. <laughs> but we are out of time on the Nitro Recap, so time to kick off Slamboree 1997. Three are all pros. Two are on opposite ends of the fierce Green Bay-Chicago rivalry. Off the gridiron and into the ring, one will gain the other's respect in the WCW's black and blue division. WCW or NWO. Piper is a true icon in the sport. The Nature Boy has defined excellence in world championship wrestling. Wildcard Kevin Green will aid in carrying the rich WCW tradition. The Outsiders and Six have hurled a barrage of insults in the direction of the veterans. The NWO is on a campaign to replace honor with disgrace. This triple threat will engage forces as WCW faces the NWO. NWO at Slamboree. Okay, so the opening video runs us through the two main feuds of the card. Mongo versus White and the Outsiders with Six versus Piper Flair in green. We have a bunch of pro football players in the main events of WCW. Bit weird. I don't think I've ever had this many. I've seen this many celebrity matches promoted on a card. Do you guys? Yeah, usually only Not go with one. Once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I was surprised to find out that they were... I knew both of them wrestled after doing a bit of research. I was surprised to know they were split into two matches. Did not think that was coming. I was surprised that they were both still active football players. Yeah. At this yeah. show. Very good football players, too. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know who Kevin Green was, and apparently he was... I should I should know who he is, just looking at his numbers. Yeah. Holy cow. Kevin Green was... He, he only went in the Hall of Fame there maybe two years ago now. Hmm, okay. But yeah, he was legit. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, as we'll talk about later, I'm very familiar with Reggie White because he played for the Packers. Growing up a Bears fan, you know who Reggie White was because he kicked the crap out of us. Yep. <laughs> and yeah, as I said, putting two complete novices, and like Mongo, we're forgetting Mongo's also just a couple years in the industry. He's better than these guys, but not by far. So three, you know, Hall of Fame worthy football players and... <laughs> And one event that's kind of weird. Mongo played with at least one of them as well. I can't remember. I think it's Reggie. It is Reggie. Yeah, his final final year he played with the Packers somehow. Yeah, it makes for a lot of the promo work he does later. Maybe not so uh, not as barbed or sharp as it should be. Yeah, in general, for some reason in the '90s we have this infatuation with football players becoming wrestlers. Just seemed to be the fad at the time. So what I don't what I don't get about it, right? So I get basketball because it's not a it's not a contact sport. But football players beat each other up all the time. If you've ever seen a Raiders match, it's basically just wrestling already. Hey, so I don't. Hey. <laughs> so I don't know the urge to watch these guys fight when they basically fight. All, it was the same when like Mayweather is on a WrestleMania 
I'm like, he fights people for real all the time. I, I have no interest to see him fake fight someone. <laughs> I guess it's but, just that it's they'll make the argument, oh, they're the most believable type of athletes that could combat a, a wrestler, I guess. It's it's thin, yeah. They're huge. Sure. Yeah. All three of them are ginormous individuals, like bigger than the other people they're in the ring with most of the time. Kevin Green is one ripped dude. I would not want to Yeah. <laughs> not want to tangle Kevin with that Green guy. looks legit and then like I mean Reggie's huge, so yeah, Reggie's just a t- but he's like they're still athletes. So the one thing is when you see Mongo, he's obviously been wrestling for a while. He doesn't need to eat like an athlete anymore. Reggie Green still needs to weigh. Uh, sorry, Reggie White still needs to. Like <laughs> man, imagine Reggie and Kevin Green morph <laughs> together. <laughs> Reggie White just has to eat like a defensive linesman, so he's probably eating four thousand, five thousand calories a day. So he's just huge. He's just three hundred plus pounds. Like it's insane. We get a pretty typical start to the show. Pyro, Shivani tells us we're at a sold-out arena in Charlotte. I absolutely love uh, Brain's suit here. We have a red shirt, uh, a pocket square, white jacket. He looks like a velvet cake. A red velvet cake. <laughs> I'm totally let down by the set. I'm so disappointed yeah. after Spring Stampede having like a full-blown saloon. And then we just go back to nothing. Like, it, no. it is very normal. And they talk up matches in a very normal way. They talk up the exact same uh, uh, two matches. Brain hypes up Mongo, tells him, you know, he knows how to play this sport where White doesn't. He's only played football. This is completely different. And Dusty talks to tradition of Piper's team, Flair's team, compared to the scummy up-and-coming young NWO members. I'm not sure who the faces are here. I'm not, I'm not sure why you're yeah, scummy okay. for being I young. Can't wait but, to talk about that. It's, it's gonna be yeah, <laughs> it, it's very. Th- this is a this is a vein all through WCW. This kind of exact feud, and you never know who the good guys are in it. It's it's fantastic. First match is what I would consider now, but probably wasn't considered at the time, a dream match. Stephen Regal, no longer Lord Stephen Regal, versus Ultimo Dragon for the television championship. We've seen Regal involved with the title pitcher for a while. He had a match against Prince Iokea, which he lost at the last pay-per-view. Regal essentially costs Iokea his championship to Dragon in a, on a Nitro. He locks on the Regal stretch very early on in the Nitro, injuring Iokea a little bit, making it a lot easier for Dragon to take the belt off him. And Regal gets another chance at the title now. Dragon's also been defending the title on a bunch of Nitros, giving the title a little bit more credibility. Yeah, he's been great. I mean, when I talked about squash matches, I think he has a squash match pretty much every week almost. You don't have to give him that much more credibility, but he has been visible as like all the champions in WCW. He's the one that's been performing the most for sure. So Regal comes out first and we get a bit of an explanation for why he's dropped the Lord from his name. Commentaries say that he expects people to know uh, his nobility Without the title, he doesn't need it. And is this a bit of a sign of the times? Less cartoony characters, more just names? Or why do you think this uh, name was dropped, guys? I I think you're correct. There's no real need to call him Lord Stephen Regal. He doesn't really play it up anymore. Who was he wrestling with? Uh, Who was his tag partner for a while? Oh, I can't remember. Was it Eaton? Bobby Eaton. Or Stephen Taylor? He's on a couple of nitros early on since we've started watching and they, they tagged together and they were royalty. They're called the Blue Bloods. And yeah, that just seems to be being phased out. There's not nearly as much really, really silly gimmicks. I mean, not that they get rid of them because it's 
wrestling. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't think it makes any difference to his character whatsoever to to drop that name. Granted, I think Dusty immediately calls him Lord Stephen Regal. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> in, in, yeah, Tanay does it by mistake, and someone snaps at him. Like, come on, guys, don't snap at Tanay. He's the only one of you that knows what he's doing. Dragon is out with Ono again. So we finally get Dragon and Ono, my favorite pairing back together. But there's a little bit of dissension in the ranks. Dragon kind of, you know, pushing him away. Ono takes a selfie. Dragon sells the flash that's non-existent like he's been shot in the eye. It's fantastic. He also has some nice uh, new silver and gold attire, but it's the same as his last one. Just uh, more champion-like, I want to say. Yeah, you got you got up your budget when when you become the working champion, of course. Yeah, you get paid more. That's kayfabe, right? You get paid more when you're Ooh. champion, or why else would you try and be champion? I guess. I love it. <laughs> Again, too much common sense for WCW. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we said Tanay is out, but it's not a cruiserweight bout. But I guess he's just out anytime there's like a foreign wrestler or a foreign cruiserweight because he has the most knowledge of the commentary team. I'm not going to complain if he's out more. Same. It was kind of weird too during this match as as we get into it. I don't know if it's like the fans they they bring. There's two flags that are draped over the guardrail. They do it for like the the international matches. So they, there's a you know Japanese and uh, English flag, and then later on there's like a Mexico flag for and Japan flag. I don't know what like if those WCW is doing. I don't know what or fans are just bringing a bunch of flags to the, the arena or not. Yeah, I'm not sure. There was like two guys they got a close up of with the British flag and um, British flag. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm not sure. Are you, are you English? Uh, yeah, whatever. I can't keep track of you. <laughs> yeah. Careful now. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> uh, I'm just yeah, they, ing- ignorant American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got a close up of some British fans, and they they seem to be cheering Regal. So I kind of assumed the flag came with them, but you, you never. It could be plants. One stupid thing to note, did you guys see Regal has like a hickey? Yeah, there, there was like the, <laughs> the first close-up of it. And I was like, huh? I, that's I, that's exactly what I have noted. I missed, Is it, was it on his neck? like or? Yeah, just mm-hmm. a big red blotch right on his neck that's definitely nice. in the shape of a hickey. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Regal was a bit of a party animal back then, so to be expected, I guess. We had early technical stalemate in this match, broken by a big side slam by Regal. In general, the team seems to be that Dragon is a bit more technical, and Regal has the power and the strength advantage. Regal puts a stop to an Irish whip, which I don't think people do enough. The Irish whip is still one of the most unbelievable things in wrestling when you really break it down. Not enough people just stop running. And hits some nice strikes and a European uppercut. I love the little intricacies in this match. Oh, so good. Yeah, things like that. You told like stopping the Irish whip. There's tons of other examples that we'll bring up during this match. Just when they're doing their mat wrestling, Regal has his legs wrapped around Dragon's neck. Dragon, he kind of like rocks his legs up and down to get up enough momentum to break the hold into yeah. a tip up. Like, yeah, it's like not only a like creative way to like break the hold. You're like, you just need decent strength in your abs to pull that off. And Dragon's the he's the best. I, I love Dragon. <laughs> yeah, he's really good in this match as well. Dragon drops Regal with a drop toe hold. Dragon walks all over his back, kind of heelish move, and does his uh, headstand on the top turnbuckle, the spot we liked from the last one. Dragon then hits some of his trademark kicks to knock Regal on the ground and starts unleashing those thunderous kicks to the lower back. They never don't look nasty. The crowd was really interesting in this match at this point because this is a double heel match, technically, at the start. And at different times, the crowd just gets behind different people. And at points, we get very loud regal chants, but early on in the match, 
they seem to be treating Dragon as kind of the face. De facto, yeah. That, that was the reason why I thought maybe they were dropping the Lord, Stephen Regal, that maybe they were going to just, this would be his face turn. Now, I don't know if that's yeah. just the, the Charlotte crowd or if they're actually, WCW is actually doing the smart kind of face run. Because he had some face tendencies going into this match, but I, I didn't think the crowd was going to pick up on on that. Because it, it's, the psychology going into like all this pay-per-view, it was just, it's very, it doesn't make sense. It was just chaotic run-ins and chaotic DQ finishes that's like, who knows what's going on? I, I couldn't say, oh, Regal's turning face here. It, that, that's definitely not what they're portraying, but that's what the crowd seems to be into. Yeah, to be honest, I was kind of surprised that they were getting behind Regal at all, because every time we see him, he's proper, proper heel. But like you said, like maybe they're, he's trying to build towards it. And that could be a very valid reason for him wanting to drop it himself. I, I'm not willing to give WCW credit for that, I don't think. Yeah, so the early match is a kind of a story of chain wrestling and... Regal just keeps trying to lock in the stretch. I think the stretch is being well protected because they never do that thing where the face gets locked into it and they break it up with the ropes. Once it's locked in, it's over. They, they don't let him get the arm over. They always escape before he gets it fully locked in. I like protecting finishes like that. I think it's clever. Yeah, it's great storytelling because it, it's it's a callback to Prince Ikea being hurt by it as well. So this is... I don't want to be in the real stretch like that. No, please. I, I'm going to die. I think it's fair to say that the two guys in the ring are legitimately near or at the top of their game at this point. They they do lots of cool stuff here. Dragon gets some of his own submissions in in the meantime. He locks in a Kimura at one stage for a little bit and then gets a cross arm breaker, as you call it, or just an arm bar. I like that kind of style. I know a lot of people in modern wrestling try and kind of imitate that kind of MMA style. But Dragon does it really well. The next set of kicks, Dragon uh, lays in again, looking absolutely horrible. Brain does his classic shh on commentary. Listen to it. Listen to how loud it is. This is the point in the match where we're getting really loud regal chants. It seems like the crowd is just getting behind whoever's on their feet. And I think just appreciating a pretty sweet match. Very cool spot where Eagle goes for back body drop. And Dragon kind of side flips out of it. I can't even explain it in a different way. But there's like a side flip out of it lands on his feet, and drop kicks Regal to the outside of the ring. I hadn't ever seen that before. While Regal is on the outside, Sonny hits some of his uh, karate-style kicks. Dragon doesn't look too happy about it and gets in the way of Sonny and Regal, pushing Regal back in the ring as Sonny shouts, I wasn't finished. Dragon goes for a moonsault but misses. Regal attempts to stretch, but again Dragon gets to the ropes before it's fully locked in. And I'm really enjoying the match at this stage. Yeah, the match up to this point was awesome, but I think this is kind of where it falters a little bit because there's like a couple awkward exchanges. Both guys, I think, are a little gassed at this point. Regal is certainly gassed. Yeah, well, I think it's at this point that Dragon, he tries like a slingshot to the outside. Regal dodges, and it's like a lame bump by Dragon. He just kind of like falls over. It didn't even look like any kind of move. It was just kind of like, ooh, I fell on my toe. Oops. Yeah, they were trying to, they, they obviously botched, and I think he tried to sell the botch a little bit, but I completely agree. Regal is not looking conditioned, maybe, for this Lanta match. As I said, he, he was enjoying the party life maybe a bit too much at the stage of his career. It's, it's kind <laughs> of a shame that like they're, they're starting to get tired at this point because it, I, I don't know if you guys would agree with this, but up until now, like the crowd really isn't into it as a match. I have times, I think. they have spikes, they, they get chants going. Which makes me think they enjoy it, but I don't know if that's either the English fans, because at one stage there's a very quiet Regal chant that turns into a big one, mm. or not. It seems to me when I was watching it that the only real times they 
they really got into it was like dragon's kicks. I think it's more just to do with the mat wrestling that they're just not into it as as a spectacle thing. And then they're like, he does a really really hard kick, and they're like, oh, I like that. Keep doing that. And then they go back to the mat wrestling. Hmm. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> I gotta wait. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm with Dave. The crowd goes in and out. Kind of. I, I think they're really selling. They're, they're really behind Regal. So there, there's times where even when he's doing the holds, they can still be behind him a little bit. I also think commentary does a great job throughout this match. At least Tanay at at some point in the match too. He says like Regal claims the TV titles. They're only. Br- is the only belt worth owning and he questions the nwo's vandalism of the world title and i don't care about the u.s title because i'm not american great psychology like oh i want this belt this belt feels like a big deal in turn it makes this match feel like a big deal so i thought that was really great work by today i actually really didn't like that <laughs> oh yeah just because it's putting down the other belts and like the op- basically the opposite reaction to it i'm like oh but the tv title shouldn't be this big that doesn't make sense to me but i guess i didn't mind it because it's like regal's motivation it's right. not Tanae's opinion he's like i asked regal and this is why he wants yeah. it so that's why i don't mind it as much so dragon reverses a double arm suplex into a hurricane rana and there's an exchange of close roll-ups regal ends up being bundled to the outside and after an acai moonsault regal is staggered giving ono another chance to lay in the kicks again dragon not impressed rolls to the outside to break it up and put regal back into the ring ono takes exception to this and kicks dragon right into the back of the head this hits regal kick dragon hit a reverse suplex and lock in the stretch for pretty much the instant win a couple seconds of struggle i was very surprised by this i thought that kind of little bits of dissension was going to develop later but straight away ono reacting and uh not happy with dragon's fair play and sportsmanship yeah i was kind of surprised with them pulling the trigger on this already too because this team has already proven themselves as a, a worthwhile team I, I didn't think they were gonna pull the trigger right away on I'm breaking them up. I'm not sure if they're breaking up long term or anything, but it's also a quick title change too. I mean, Dragon hasn't had the belt for that long either, less less than a month. So I was actually hoping Dragon was going to get a longer title shot here. But I thought this was a, a great match, a great opener. I didn't think I was going to like it, but I actually liked it a lot. I would agree that the match is great. I had a quick look there just to see. I was like, maybe he had to go wrestle in Japan or something, and that's why he they they did that. They pushed the angle, but no. Seems like he's pretty regular for the next year at least. But I thought it was a bit rushed as well. I wasn't expecting it, but like it works. I have a couple of minor things because it's usual WCW. There's the TV title. There's meant to be a time limit. There's <laughs> never a time limit in this match. Uh, there's no mention made of it. I don't care about that. I, 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 hate- I don't really care, but if not for the fact that they used it as a main point yeah of the tv sure. title like the previous pay-per-view consistency so it's certainly consistent it's a real simple thing like I, i'm just pointing it out because it's wcw <laughs> they, they always <laughs> get this little stuff wrong so it kind of builds up after a while i thought it was a little long for a match the guys do look wrecked towards the end uh so they probably could have cut a little bit off of it and it still would have been just as good but it's still a great match I could watch the two of them wrestle easily. Even now, I'd say the two of those guys could have a really, really good match if you asked them to. Um, yeah, Regal still has occasional random good matches. Uh, he hasn't wrestled in like four years, Dave. <laughs> oh, is it four now? Yeah. <laughs> oh, jeez, time flies. But I, be- I, believe, I believe Dave when he said that, though, because it's so believable. <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. Like, I could fully... I'm, I'm pretty sure Ultimo wrestled there recently with Sonny as his manager. <laughs> i'm pretty sure i saw a photo there recently enough i'll have to dig it out yeah no yeah um, they're still doing they're still doing appearances if at least for sure he still looks like he's in great shape too 
I, I could well believe it because dude is like was in very good shape then, so I don't see why it would change. Uh, really good start to the pay per view. It's probably the best match on the show, I think. Yeah, Dragon. He's just always had the, the best match. It seems uh, it was it was a person that I was. He was definitely on my radar, but going going through all these shows, he has been one of my favorite wrestlers for sure. I've even followed him on Instagram lately. So <laughs> I was kind of bummed that yeah he lost the match, but. He does get a rematch with Regal. I think it's after the Great American Bash on Nitro. So doesn't have the title anymore, but he's plenty more quality dragon matches are coming up. Sweet. One thing I love about Regal in these matches, and I I will agree, the crowd isn't too into the chain wrestling and maybe you have to bring it down a smidge for the crowd you're in front of. But he does like, like the British, the old British style of chain wrestling. So we have a decent amount of good chain wrestlers on the roster. Dean comes to mind and he does a lot of similar things but there's always something slightly different and very uh logical about things that regal does they don't always have to look flashy sometimes he just twists your arm because if your arm was not in position it wouldn't be hard to twist there's something very logical about his wrestling and i i don't know that's very satisfying to watch yeah i'd agree with that he he seems to have like a plan he's not just wrestling he's like going i'm going to target a part of their body and it's gonna work in favor for me then when i finally get around to putting him in the regal stretch yeah, if you ever really want to listen to the psychology of a wrestler and why Regal's so amazing, he's done hundreds of interviews. He's still doing them because he's so involved with uh, NXT, and I highly recommend just YouTubing a couple of them. He, his insight to wrestling is fascinating, and his life story is fascinating. I was afraid that we were not going to get like a good Regal performance out of WCW during this timeline, but I'm glad we did. I'm hoping we get more, but I'm as long as we have just this one match, I am satisfied. Yeah, I agree. We go to our second match of the night. Luna Vashon. Vashon? How do you guys say it? Luna Vashon. Vashon. Versus Medusa in what's been dubbed a woman's grudge match. (laughs) Which, spoilers, is just a normal match. The build-up to this match is pretty much it's just a continuation of Spring Stampede and Medusa not winning her title because of the interference there. Unfortunately... Tony the Tiger is out for commentary. Oh, <laughs> Lee Marshall's so bad. <laughs> Why is he the designated woman's commentator? Like I don't I don't get where this where this connection is brought up. Stick to yeah, your one eight hundred collect ads, Lee Marshall. Stay there. I don't want you to do anything else, which are also awful. No, I want him to get beat up by the faces of fear over and over. <laughs> well, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> and then oh, listen to him be upset. <laughs> <laughs> that was so good so this is technically luna's first pay-per-view match so debut even and though we saw her in the last only pay-per-view. wcw match spoilers Jeez. only match only match oh I, well yeah yeah makes sense yeah which, which is yeah, which okay. is weird i did a lot of i did some research on her because i was i was actually kind of i'm kind of fascinated with her career because like you know you, you saw her in the air two era and she was uh, you know, a minor role player there for sure. I didn't realize that Medusa and Luna, they had apparently feuded in the WWF in the past. I, I'm not, that era I'm not totally familiar with. So they, they did have some matches. Apparently they wrestled in Florida Championship Wrestling. Can't confirm that, but that's what Luna's Wikipedia says. So I'll, I'll go off that. What, what do you guys think Luna as a wrestler? Because she's had a very unique career. She's a very unique person for sure. I've always liked Luna because she's always been different. She's been in eras of woman wrestling, a uh, woman's wrestling where everyone's the same. That that's what's important in wrestling, sticking out. I guess. I thought she was okay for what it was. I don't. I don't really have any real memories around, like centered around her. 
beyond like we're saying like her Same. her very visual nature other than that i'm like yeah i don't i don't really remember you being like a great wrestler or great promo anything like that like or even doing any any particular segment or promo or anything god knows i'm sure she was in some sort of like bikini contest on in the attitude era right but, and i think that's uh, the problem like, i th- i think she just was she came in at the wrong time when wrestling was huge and her character just didn't seem to fit in that because i mean she had the she had like the feuds with sable and it's just ugh, they're gonna put sable over her and she's like well this doesn't make me happy yeah. she had a variety of different things she was with gold dust she was with the oddities for a little point she was all over the place oh she was with gold dust yeah, yeah. yeah. So she was really good with gold dust yeah, but I mean, sure. that's like when you're saying that the only reason she's there is because, well, you look weird. These guys are weird. Yeah, Let's put them together. <laughs> yeah, it, it's hard to know how good of a wrestler she ever was because she's in an era of wrestling where it's hard to know if any of the women were good at wrestling because they weren't really allowed to wrestle and weren't really hired to wrestle. Yeah, I think that's a shame for her because for this match in particular, I thought she definitely could wrestle for sure. Yeah, I think she's solid in this match. Uh, we get Medusa out second. Commentary lets us know that Medusa is claiming to be the rightful women's champion. She's beaten Akira in Japan. Though Sonny Ono denies the match has even happened. Oh, pre-internet days when you can get away with stories like this. <laughs> uh, one thing I didn't know about Luna, start of this match, her strikes are pretty stiff. Like, not dragon stiff, but they look they look rough. Yeah, her strikes are, are stiff, but I think her selling as well. Like, she bumps like a boss from Medusa yeah. in this match. I thought exceptional oh she did we'll, we'll get to one of the major bumps first but i wanted to point something out uh before that medusa's screaming is up there with brock lesnar oh. levels of weirdness <laughs> what is it she hasn't done this before no. what, what is it with this match is it, she's supposed to be acting like she's super mad because you cost me my match or i don't know it didn't sound like that kind of it didn't kind of sound like anger to me anyway but <laughs> we're a family show yeah. so let's keep it there uh, yeah, I did just something new out of Medusa. I thought it was just for one or two clotheslines, but it was like the whole match, and it was very off-putting. Maybe she'd been watching like tennis or something at the time and thought it was a good yeah. idea. Like I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that's always the unfortunate thing with with women's matches. When if for some reason it's like, oh, they're making so much noise. Oh, this, I don't approve of this. This sounds yeah, it's uh, very true. off-putting. Maybe, maybe we're being maybe we're being critical. But as I said, when Brock Lesnar does it, I also think it's the weirdest thing of all time. Right. Oh! Like it's not it's not a noise I want to hear seven or eight times. Toughest man on the planet and screams like he's an eighty year old stubbing his toe or some kind of mountain gorilla standing anyway. on some Lego. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely yeah, there's definitely validity to to your your thought here. It's just like the psychology of how much noise do you make. We've talked about that a little bit in the cast, and yeah, it's for some reason Medusa is just she's going all yeah. in on the screaming in this match. Like yeah. maybe she's trying to put over Luna. Like yeah. maybe that's her way of kind of going like she hits harder than whoever I've wrestled before and she did that's more true. damage, but it's not what I would have thought of as a, a thing to do, but I don't know. I, I guess we're kind of reaching here just to explain it away when it could just be, she just decided to do it. I, I don't know. I thought Luna was pretty good in this match, but she does one thing that's a bit weird. Not she puts the claw on Medusa's stomach as a rest hold. It was the oddest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> I mean, it's probably really sore when you think about it. Yeah, if I dug my fist and nails into your stomach, it would hurt a lot, but you could do something about it. Like if you're trying to literally pull your stomach. <laughs> yeah. So maybe. <laughs> oh, no, for but sure. Yeah. I, th- I think it's de- definitely, I, I would never want somebody to do that to me, but just I've never seen it before. It was just odd. 
again, yeah, like it, we're kind of building it up off of Luna's character. Like she's crazy. She's different. It's not necessarily a bad thing when you think about it. Also, not the weirdest rendition of the claw on the card. Only the second weirdest. <laughs> oh but no! We'll get, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Oh no! I might Take need another drink. beer. Yeah, I might need yeah, another beer yeah. after that. One of Medusa's the one of uh, sorry Luna's best things in this match is the huge bump she takes off of a big clothesline by Medusa. She just purposely lands on the back of her like head, essentially like back of her neck. It's a very Japanese style bump. And it looked fantastic. That was exactly in my notes. It felt like a very Japanese, but it like she kind of transitioned it nicely. It was like it was on her back, but she kind of like rolled into her neck to make it look even more brutal, which was fantastic. And it looked even better in the slow motion as they show it. Yeah, these styles of bumps, they look worse, but they can be done safely. The problem is that the margin for error is so tiny. If you land a bit further back, you are just landing on your head. But you're right, they usually land under shoulder neck region and they roll to make it look like they landed straight on the back of their head luna hits a running hair swing into a swinging neck breaker to put medusa down she sets up for a top rope splash which she misses this lets medusa hit a german with a bridge for the tree count did you notice the cocky pat on the ass she gives yeah. luna yeah. as she gets up it's probably meant as something friendly and she didn't notice the camera was on it but it made her look like a bit of a, a dick face. Like, good job. Good job getting pinned. Yeah, I, <laughs> think, getting I think it's meant to be like a thanks for the match kind yeah. of thing. But yeah, it does, it does come across as like, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, thanks for taking the nasty bump off the top. Because that was, you know, mm. most like the top rope splashes, they'll just like, you know when they're not going to hit because they jump off like so lightly. Like she fully jumped off it and she fully landed on her stomach. Yeah, exactly. The, the This match was short. We didn't get to see much of Luna. But her bumping makes me want to maybe see a bit more of her. See if she has any like interesting matches out there. Best women's match on the podcast? Yeah, easy, actually. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I like the Kira. It's just they're trying to shove so much into like three-minute matches that they can't really do anything. So this is probably the most complete match they had and well put together. And Luna really puts her ass on the line a couple times. It's still too short as well. Like it's yeah. only five oh, minutes yeah. long. It's probably an indictment of how poorly people treated the women back then mm, yep. and continue it's... to do so for the next like 15 years because yeah. uh, they definitely could wrestle. There was no way that they wouldn't have been able to go for another five, 10 minutes if they if they were allowed to and they would have been able to do something good, good to great, like given time, but they never were given time. And then thanks to certain bookers coming up in the next year or two, they definitely don't get given the opportunity, so. It's a shame. It is. They come and go so fast. I mean, Luna, she goes back to the yeah. WWF after this. Yeah, at least she's used a bit better then. But as we said, we never get to see her actual wrestling skills throughout her whole mainstream career anyway. Maybe she does some uh, better stuff in Florida. I mean, how many more? Is this the last match we're going to get? We have one more women's match. Women's match? One or? more women's match. Yeah. And then the belt ceases to exist. <laughs> in the trash, like another women's title. Oh. Poetic justice. Gina's on the ramp again, telling us someone might be leaving the WCW. you got to call the hotline to find out. And, and much more. I'd love be. to know how much money Gene made off of this. Like, <laughs> do you, do you, I'd like to think it's his personal project. It's not actually anything to do with WCW. He's just like, let me pitch this every show. You don't have to. <laughs> but like, as far as I know, I think he actually was using legit material. Like, there was yeah. genuinely people who were considering doing what he's saying. Oh, wow. Like, a lot of the time, like, when he's mentioning stuff, I think it is 
real news that he's just cribbing off of like Meltzer's observers <laughs> going <laughs> you want to find out kids huh pay me four dollars and I'll tell you <laughs> yeah I can I can read the observer to you guys yeah. that's easy man's got to make some money somehow but also got got to drag got to drag Gene immediately as well because he like pauses in his hotline blurb just to have a good gawk at a Medusa on the way out oh it's so <laughs> I, I don't want to point it out every time because we'd be pointing it out a lot but like they just had a good match. The, she just ended a feud, but boy, she looks good, doesn't she? <laughs> Thanks, yeah. Jean. Yeah. I didn't have eyes. I couldn't tell when someone's attractive without you pointing it out. Appreciate it, buddy. Macho Man comes out. He grabs Jean and wags his finger in his uh, face. Tells him to get out of here and takes the mic off him. Poor Jean. What did he ever do? No, thank you, Randy. <laughs> thank you, Randy. You're also not paraphrasing, right, Dave? You forgot to say brother eight times. Brother, 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 brother. He says brother at least twice in every sentence. At least twice. I think he's just ribbing Hogan at this stage. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd like to think it's a rib on him. We get the first reference of the Wolf Pack with Macho in the ring. Our first uh, pay-per-view reference to Wolf Pack. And Macho starts naming the members as, uh, as the crowd interrupts with a loud, very loud DDP chant. Macho tells us, no, not DDP. He doesn't want the Macho Madness anymore. And the, uh, the camera pants the crowd where we see DDP coming through the crowd with the crutch that he was beat up with a few nights ago in hand. DDP hits the ring and Macho hightails it out of there. Eric comes out with Buff Bagwell, Vincent, Scott Norton, the plebs, the pleb brigade, yeah. <laughs> to stop Macho from going back in the ring. I get that he's the cowardly heel, but why jump out of the ring if you wanted to be in the ring in the first place? I don't get it. DDP taunts Macho for a while, asking him if he wants to feel the madness, telling him he knows that Macho has prior engagements to go to Hogan's house, wash his car, and kiss his ass. This is enough for Macho, tells the NWO to move out of his way so he can get to the ring. DDP tees off on the on the Macho Man. He gets Buff, Bish, and Vincent as well, but Scott Norton puts a stop to it, beating DDP and revealing his injured ribs from a couple nights ago. When things are looking bad for DDP, the Giant comes out to make the save. And finally, a random WCW member helping another one not take a beating <laughs> in the middle of the ring. It's just taken, what, this is our ninth episode or something? It's it's almost a year at this point. Yeah. Granted, it, it, it helps a lot more on Nitro for sure. But yes, for, for pay-per-views, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. NWO holds back Macho from running back into ring. Giant holds back DDP a bit as the faces celebrate in the ring. Fine segment. Yeah, it was, it was an okay segment. My favorite thing about it is Macho calls Vincent Virgil. You can hear him call him Virgil. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I almost do it every cast, so I don't blame him. It's a really good segment. Uh, I don't know why it's not on Nitro. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think, was Randy injured this month? And they were su- they were supposed to wrestle, so this is like instead of it. Correct, correct. So he's he, he's been on crutches pretty much all month. Now he's kind of off it, so they're going to, you know, like I said, they're going to just continue the feud. I think this was just typical because I think WWF, they wanted to do this as well. Our signature program is our Monday night show. We want our our pay-per-views. We want our audience to get a little bit of what the Monday night shows are like. So I think that's why they could justify having segments like this, which I think is nice. I Like not having the stupid backstage typical promos with Gene. I'd rather have this than that. Oh, yeah. It's miles better than that. I'm not against it. I'm just like, it definitely feels like it's not a pay-per-view type. For segment. sure. And I mean, they've had this, this similar promo on Nitro like four times already. So it's, 
It's more the same, but yeah. I can watch these two forever. Yeah, I was the other thing I was going to point out is holy cow, DDP is over now. Man, you need to push this guy. <laughs> Not out of nowhere, but like less than a year from like slight reactions because he's a character to super over maybe second or third most over if not closer to first most over guy in the card that's insane no wonder he gets so big yeah i have the same thing why couldn't this be a match i understand ddp's injured but there's a couple other matches in the card and i'll probably talk about this at the end of the podcast more where you could just tack ddp and some nwo members and have it ended in some kind of finish where macho knocks out ddp and Giant has to come to rescue him or whatever, some kind of nonsense in a short match. But instead, it's just like a random segment, which is kind of weird. But it, it was fine. It was a good segment. Well, it's it's Macho's that injured, right? And he's actually injured. Like, he's, legitimately injured. Yeah, he's actually shooting. Oh. Yeah, but they're kind of both playing off yeah. as they're both injured type of thing. I, I, I can't remember what it is he, he's injured with, but he, he couldn't wrestle at yeah. the time, Dave. An- ankle. So I they think. had to stretch it out. Okay. We go on to match number three of the night, and there's going to be a name I'm going to definitely screw up here. <laughs> Yuji Yasuraka. Yasuraoka. 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 Can never get these right. Just call him Yuji. I call him Yuji for my whole write-up, yeah. Call him Yogi. That's what Bobby calls him. Not racist at all. (laughs) (laughs) Not racist at all. To To be perfectly honest, he's probably not being racist. He's probably as lazy as you. And he's like, I can't be arse. (laughs) (laughs) Against podcast favorite, Rey Mysterio. No real build-up for this match in these two guys but ray has been screwed out of the title by the nwo a bunch and this is kind of acting like a number one contender match this is yuji's first pay-per-view but he has been on a nitro before this it was like a saturday night i I actually have no idea who this guy is really do you have any idea who this guy is yeah i did a little bit research mostly wikipedia yuji is a young up-and-comer at this stage in his career working for war which is the best name for a promotion of all time. It's wrestling and romance. In Japan, he's also had a few matches for, or a few appearances at New Japan, because War and New Japan had an uh, agreement at this stage. He has won two international junior heavyweight tag team championships with none other than Lance Storm. And the month after this, he wins the international junior heavyweight championship from none other than Jushin Thunder Liger. Uh, so there was some fate in this guy, but he retires like not too long after this, pretty young. I, d- I don't know why he retires early, but he just kind of goes. I think the match is kind of evident as why he doesn't wrestle for very long, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> <laughs> that that That's fair. He also looks like a cheap knockoff Power Ranger, something you'd get in a non-brand name he store. looks so dumb in this match. I never understand people wearing like big Power Ranger suits, unless they have like some out there gimmick. Which he does not. Uh, <laughs> Coming into WCW, where everybody wears black, and it's this guy wearing like yellow, like bright yellow and red, like hurts the eyes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Ray runs Yuji out of the ring for one of the most notable kind of spots of the match. Mark Curtis has never done this before, so I'm not sure why he doesn't now. Stops Ray from diving out of the ring, but Ray just dives over him and hits Yuji. And this is pretty sweet. It's a pretty nice variation on the typical spot. Yeah, I, I've actually seen this gif for a while. I, I was not, I didn't know it was actually related to this match. It actually looked nice compared to the, the spot that they missed completely on camera. So at least they got this on camera nicely. Yeah, we get to see that spot in replay later, but that is pretty embarrassing. Later in the match, Yuji does his own dive to the outside, and the WCW camera doesn't only miss that, 
but misses kind of the impact on Ray, so I don't even know what move he's trying. I just kind of see them fall off camera. I'm just thinking I'm going to have to make some sort of like bingo card, I think, at this point. We should have a drinking. We should probably post a drinking game. I think the drinking game would be too much. I think people might get in trouble with that. Uh, but like a bingo card, I think, would be interesting. Like, There's definitely enough like generic things they do pay-per-view to pay-per-view. Yeah. I'm, I'm down with that. So, yeah, this match is... Uh... Oh, this match is tough for a number of reasons. Obviously, yeah, we can talk about Eugene in a little bit, but I thought what ruined the match mostly for me is the commentators. I think they way overanalyzed the match. I know like Bobby does that at times, but it seems like everybody wanted to be Bobby for this match. They just call attention to every like little nitpick thing. It's just psychology. It's like, oh, Yuji with lazy cover. Can't be lazy here in WCW. Why are you working the arm? You should be working d- Ray's legs. That is the stupidest comment. Like, why would you pick apart psychology like that? Oh, you got to take his legs so he can't move and high fly. You know who can't move when they don't have legs? Everybody. <laughs> Doesn't matter how much you jump around. It's the worst comment. I mean, I can't blame them because they have nothing to work with here because they have this guy, only WCW match. So it's like, well, we need to talk about something. And that's all, that's all I got. It ruins the match. Yeah, and I mean, like, I know I said that the, the crowd wasn't great for Dragon and Regal, but it's really not great for this because they don't know what to do with your man. Understandable. And he drags Ray down to his level, I think, which is another big problem with it. And the worst part of the commentary, too, is, oh, wow, he can count in English because he yells at the ref, you know, the typical one, come on, count ref, count one, two, three. And then today's like, yeah, they count English and Japanese wrestling as well. I have that noted that Tanae sounds annoyed. I would be. Because he's like, yeah, like the guy the guy can do some basic, can speak some basic English, you plebs. Why couldn't he do some homework? I know I'm out here to carry it, but do watch a Japanese match once if this is your job. And Bray plays it off kind of well, though. He says, oh, I knew all along. I'm just, I'm just, I was just testing you. <laughs> Ray also does a split-legged moonsault after the cameraman has missed Yuji's dive. Cameraman also almost gets brained by Ray doing this moonsault. I, I, I see. I see why Ray's push disappeared. He just keeps taking out cameraman. <laughs> yeah, just dangerous, <laughs> dangerous for everyone. Ray misses with a big splash off the top, which gives Yuji time to hit a double arm DDT, which commentary basically implies is his finish from the one match they've seen. Yuji tries for a crossbody but gets drop kick midair. Ray then signals and hits his finish, which is the springboard Rana. Yeah, a bit of a throwaway match for Ray. It felt like we need to get Ray on the card. Not his worst because he still has his Prince match, but not great. I think it's worse than the Ayakia match for sure. I'm guessing that the reason he's wrestling this dude is because they probably had some sort of working relationship. They have to showcase that guy and Six is in the six-man tag, so you can't use him for the Cruiserweight match because there's literally like... Do you honestly want Buff Bagwell or Scott Norton wrestling the three elderly statesmen in the main event? Like that could go real bad. Like at least six has like athleticism and he can bring something slightly different and like bring a little bit more to it. So I don't blame them for putting them in this spot, but yeah, it's, oh, it's so bland and I just don't care for it at all. Not, yeah. Not a good match. I, I, I think I agree with you a little bit, Gus, I think the reason why they wanted to put this match on the card is just to put Ray on there, just to feature him, because he's he's had a really good program with X-Pac on, on the Nitros, so they're like, well, we have to keep this guy relevant. I th- There's still something with him, so we just we just have to put him on the card with somebody. Yeah, I really want to see that pay-per-view match between him and, and Six. I don't think we ever get it. 
we we get the rematch on on Nitro, but that that, that seems wasted because unfortunately Ray, I think he gets his knee surgery at this point that he's been procrastinating on already. He's so young. Yeah, I think, but he's definitely gone for a month from WCW and we won't see him for a few episodes on the podcast. Unfortunately, we don't get to see him until road wild. So this might be a little rough guys. Cause he's been one of the MVPs of the cast. So I'm a little worried as good as he's been. It's nice to maybe get a bit of a change of pace. And sure. like, as we said, dragon regal carried it as well. And he, well, he's never stale cause he's so exciting. It's nice to take a couple weeks off. You know, there's always the same four or five spots he's going to do in every match. That's just how wrestling works. So I don't mind it as much. I like the comment at the end of the match. America and Mexico have the, have the best wrestlers. Better than Japan. Why are you guys together? Why are, like, America and Mexico, like, bunched into one and Japan in a different bunch? I don't get that, but okay. Yeah, Ray, just don't talk, please. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He learned to talk to the camera. Buff is telling everyone, talk to the camera. They love it. <laughs> Match number four of the night, and this is basically what I think of it. <sighs> let me take, let me take a sweet. Um, yeah. <sighs> we get uh, Glacier. This is even close to the worst thing of the card, guys. Like, <laughs> <laughs> It's a travesty to the name of Glacier, though. <laughs> well, well, that's very true. <laughs> Glacier versus Mortis. And forget what I said about dropping cartoonish gimmicks right into cartoon <laughs> land here this is a few that was con- uh, continued from uncensored mortis has been involved in most of glacier's matches and has stolen his uh, helmet from his entrances rat has also been involved in beating down glacier on nitros and he's been identified as the person that interfered in their last match this hasn't uh, stopped glacier though from being on an undefeated streak or a streak right he hasn't lost a match yet Nope, he has, like, my notes from Nitros are basically Glacier wins match in, like, one minute. Then Mortis and Wrath come out afterwards and beat him down. Mortis out with Vandenberg, and they still have the helmet. Commentary lets us know where Vandenberg is. Wrath can't be far behind. (laughs) What foreshadowing. Fantastic (laughs) foreshadowing. My favorite line of the night, though, from Vandenberg, he shouts at the camera, Glacier, tonight we send you back to your igloo in a body bag. <laughs> what great way to get heat. Yeah, get it. Crowd invested. Get it. He, Actually, I don't get it. He likes, he likes ice. Okay. He enjoys ice. <laughs> okay. so he, must, he must have an igloo instead of a house. Do you think like... Nice. When they were when they were positing like, oh, he's going to take the, the helmet and like it's his all his powers or whatever. Do you think they're trying to go for this like urn style angle? They're like, well, it worked for takers, so... Surely this will work when we steal the, the helmet that nobody has ever seen before, apart from the intros, and has never been used. But, you know. I wanted it to be way more Mortal Kombat. If you're going to go for it, he should have ripped out his spine. Still have it. <laughs> there you go. Then you could have called him spineless before the match. It writes itself. <laughs> Come on, Russo. Well, Russo's not here yet, so you can't blame him for this. I can blame him. We can always, we can, yeah, we can always blame him. Damn Russo. Um, Glacier drops his entrance mask halfway through his entrance and runs into the ring where he gets beat down by Mortis. And a common team for this whole pay-per-view, the commentary team letting us know the second man into the ring is always at a disadvantage. Okay. I do, I do like that Glacier... I do like Glacier sprints into the ring to go after Mortis. I wish that was more done in, like, these... I mean, this isn't the blood, blood feud, feuds. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah blood feud type matches. Yeah. It's not your typical <laughs> Triple H and Randy Orton. Just like oh, I'm just gonna calmly walk to the ring. Like you guys have done some shit together. You should run after and kill each other. 
Yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, there's this thing called emotion that you can use. Uh. <laughs> yeah, and our man Glacier, he continues to perform. <laughs> yeah, luckily we don't have to talk too much about this match, because Mortis instantly signals for Rat to come to the ring. Don't know why he has to signal. Would Rat not just have come to the ring in the first place or come out of his own? Glacier starts his comeback as Rat slowly and methodically he's, strolls down to the He's ring. like the Spanish Inquisition. He operates on fear and surprise, Dave. <laughs> After Mortis takes some of the beatdown, Rat slowly gets into the ring with the weird staff that Mortis has and hits Glacier with a breaking the staff, of course. They start a beatdown as the crowd chant bullshit. Right you are, crowd. Right you are. <laughs> the only cool spot I can pull out here is Mortis does like a famouser from the apron onto Glacier onto Steel Steps. Yeah, that was kind of okay. Looked painful and probably wasn't. Then Ernest Miller hits the ring, takes out Mortis and Rat with some sweet spinning kicks. One of them looked real stiff. Mortis bumped real hard for one of them right to the face. Uh, at first, commentary think Miller is just a random pleb from the audience. A fan. A fan, yeah. Like, <laughs> Come on, guys, please. A fan throwing those kicks. Surely, surely somebody has clued them in, like, even a little bit, like, to what's going on. And then they point out, he's like, oh, it's Ernest Miller. No one else kicks like that. I'm like, no way. No way you know who Ernest Miller is. Come on. The household name, Ernest Miller. For those of you that don't know, Ernest Miller has won multiple karate world championships and a kickboxing one done by a karate organization. I don't, I don't know how much merit that one in particular holds. Why he is in WCW is because Eric Bischoff recommended he become a wrestler after he trained Bish's kid, Jared Bischoff. Fantastic. So that's the that's the whole story. It's typical WCW. You're barely a wrestler. Let's throw you in the ring right away. I will say his kicks look sweet, yeah, yeah. but Mortis did sell it like he was hit by a truck. Yeah, this will this will be interesting because I remember hating the cat character that that he eventually gets his heel persona. Not quite the James Brown gimmick that he that most people remember. So we'll see how adult Connor thinks of the the cat though. Like maybe it's aged well. I I, I don't know. I read about it and it sounds fantastic. Not in a good way, but in pure wrestle crap way. So I might really appreciate it, but we'll see. I mean, what more can you say about this like segment? <laughs> Again, probably should have been on TV, like like you're saying, Connor, like to try and promote Nitro. It's like this is the gold you get to watch on Nitro, so you better make sure to tune in. Uh, <laughs> I just yeah, I got nothing. The the less said about this, the better. I mean, at least they're trying something. It's a it's a storyline. They're not just randomly throwing guys out into the ring like they did the previous match, but. Yeah, the sooner that Mortis and Raph move on to their next characters, the better, because I at least enjoy them more in that in those roles. They're also not like terrible wrestlers; like they're fine. I think Mortis is act- actively. Good. Oh, Canyon's a good wrestler. I don't know yeah. what he's like either. Yeah, like I think Mortis, you can tell by the way he bumps. Now he he suffers a bit from he's a big guy; he probably shouldn't bump as hard as he does, but he makes other people look good. He's made Glacier and Ernest the Cat Miller look fantastic. I think. After seeing and appreciating Meng a lot more and the Faces of Fear, I'm really hoping I get to see them with against Clark and Brian Adams because that will be awesome. It's just, just people lumping each other like for for ten minutes. 
Yeah, we haven't seen Wrath in a match yet, so that that's what I'm I'm waiting for. I, th- I think we oh, get yeah. a tag. I think we get a tag match against these four. It's I can't remember which pay per view, but it's coming up. So don't uh, don't expect too much. <laughs> After this segment, we get Gene on the ramp telling us again that a WCW member might be leaving, and they give him a call. He must be really lonely getting all these people to call him all the time. No promo this time, though. Just Gene on the ramp. Don't forget he pimps out the ringside girls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he does. <laughs> Yeah, the, the weird time where we don't have the Nitro girls to gawk at yet. That, that'll, that'll be fun to... Yeah. to in to, cages, where they belong. Does it ever get to that point? I don't. I thought that was a TNA yeah, thing. Yeah, they dance in cages, right? Mm, I thought that was TNA, but we'll... we'll so the <laughs> most, most surprising thing, I think, about this whole show, we don't have interviews or promos. The whole show, it actually felt great. Yeah, it runs better. Yeah, but, I, in general, I'm a fan of... Unless it's like a shocking revelation or like a new member being revealed for a stable or something. Pay-per-views aren't where you do your promos. Promos are to build feuds. Pay-per-views is where you pay them off. I'm pretty traditional like that. So I don't mind when there's a lot less of them. Match number five, Jeff Jarrett versus Dean Malenko for the U.S. title. Jarrett comes out with Deborah to his own music, not the Horseman music. Fun fact that I learned recently, do you know that Arn Anderson uh, says that Jarrett was never a Horseman? Like, real life, not not actually, like, in story. Apparently, he's like, well, to be a horseman when you're kicked out, you have to be beat up, essentially. And that never happened to Jarrett. So, Arn Anderson doesn't consider Jarrett ever to be, have been an official horseman. Good, yeah. I take that as fact. And uh, yeah. Arn is, yes, he's it's right. It's pretty fine, in yeah. fairness. Dean out with slightly new attire. He has, like, a frosted, he has, like, glitter, glittery frost on his jacket. Which I never thought suit because I don't think Iceman ever actually took as a nickname. Like people refer to him as it, but I never see Iceman like signs in the crowd. He doesn't refer to himself that much in promos to it, so I don't know. It seems very forced. Yeah, Dane can definitely do more with uh, connecting with the crowd, but it just never gets there. Jericho has to help him along. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the thousand hole thing kind of gets. Well, that's just the the announcers mention it all the time, that. but I don't know if he really do, goes mm-hmm. into it. That's true. This is our second double heel encounter of the night, where again, even though it's two heels, there's a very clear fan favorite. Is Malenko a heel? I think he's. We could probably say he's a tweener at this stage, right? Yeah, yeah. It's always hard to tell with Dean. It's it changes month to month. It seems. Is Jared meant to be a heel? <laughs> no, Jared is not meant to be a heel. Yeah, so it's actually like two bland, like or two faces, like two bland faces in a weird way. Yeah, you think you think the crowd would be behind Jarrett because no. you know, he's supposed to be a part of the four or yeah, he's supposed to be the part of the four horsemen. But yeah, Jarrett sucks chance right off the bat. Yeah, I, I love you, crowd. I love loud you. ones. Yeah, loud. Early in the match, we get a lot of reversals. Both men are trying to show who's superior, and I think commentary break down the match in a very decent uh, comment, which is Malenko's straight business. Anytime, like when he does a drop toe hold, he goes straight into a headlock. When Jarrett does one, he starts taunting and showing off. You know, typical face stuff. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Uh, <laughs> Deborah, Deborah says something into the mic, uh, into the camera, but the mic isn't on. Nope. And then the guy is making insinuations about what she said. Pure WCW. Everybody shuts up to listen to Deborah. No mic. Great. Dean works the leg and knee a bit when he gains an advantage in the match. Before dragging Jarrett to the outside, he hooks Jarrett's leg on the barricade and drop kicks it, which I thought was a cool spot, like probably the better one of the match. Jarrett hops around, runs into the ring, and as Dean gets in, he just starts beating him down as if nothing happened. Doesn't sell the leg that was worked on at all, 
jumping off the ropes, hitting drop kicks, not selling it for a single bit. This happens the entire match. I think immediately after this, when he gets a bit of control in the match, he does an ab- abdominal stretch and he's using the leg as the main point of force. So he just ignores every bit of psychology that Dean is trying to bring into the match. Oh, God. The, those ab stretches. Oh, I'm, I'm sick of God. them. I know it's just a big spot in this era of wrestling, but they're also people are executing it really poorly. At least when the outsiders do it, it looks good. But it's the typical, hey, come hold my hand, Deborah, because that's how leverage works. They're not spots, though. They're just rest holds. Right, yeah. right. Well, I think the, the big reason that it really gets me here is that he runs it back to back. Oh, the yeah, second yeah. Time. It, the crowd is just the crowd is just dead by that point. Like, come yeah. on. Like, the thing I, I noticed about this match, too, with Jarrett, I hate his selling. Because, like, with it's a really bad team up with, with a guy like Dean because Dean puts a lot of holds in. But Jarrett is terrible at selling holds. He just calmly says, no, 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 no. He, like, he doesn't squirm. He doesn't emote any pain. He just kind of sits there. Well, this is a token of Jarrett's career. He does two things. One, he doesn't sell very well. So he doesn't make the other wrestler look that good. And two, anytime he's in there with a technician, his character is, well, you didn't know, but I'm actually as technically good as you are. That's not your, what? No, that's ridiculous. That other guy's entire gimmick is he's a really good technical wrestler. Your gimmick is you're a cowboy. Why would you be as good at wrestling as he is? And this happens through his whole career. Later on in TNA, he does the same thing to Kurt Angle. He like out wrestles Kurt Angle in matches. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh my God. Do you want to know a secret, Dave? What? It's because of his dad. (laughs) (laughs) It is because of his dad. It may have something to do with his dad was a booker. Well, well, okay. I'm I'm glad I noticed that I'm not crazy. Okay, that all right. All makes sense. No, yeah, he's totally like Jared is one of the most overrated guys I think of this period. Ever? Yeah, ever. Again, I think it's hard just because like I this is like probably one of the worst stretches of his career. I think. I loved his WWF stuff like later on yeah. in the Attitude Era. He is certainly entirely dependent on his gimmick because he's not the best worker. He's not the worst worker. We are a little harsh on him because I, I dislike him, so I'm a bit harsh on him. There's far worse workers on the roster. But he, he's very gimmick dependent, and when his gimmick isn't over or cool, I wish he just wasn't there. And this is one of the cases. This cowboy gimmick has outlived its usefulness by years. I'm laughing at my own notes. This is just... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Yeah, I love it. I love it at this point. They they try and go into the ropes. This is after like trying to do ab stretches. Yeah. It looks like one of them tries to go in the ab stretch again, but both are like unsure what to do and Jared just like falls over and then Dean's just like, Oh, I'm just gonna start stomping viciously because like I need to get the crowd back into it because Jared's not picking them up. Yeah, so. they they looked a bit hard. It looked like Dean might have been a bit annoyed by that. That's what I thought. I thought he was pissed. Yeah, I, I'd agree. I, I'd be annoyed wrestling Jared at this point. <laughs> uh, when he rolls to the outside after the stomps more very loud Jarrett sucks chance in the ring Jarrett goes for a figure four Dean escapes by hitting Jarrett's knee causing him to fall over and clutch it which would make infinite sense if you sold any of the knee things that Dean has done the entire match oh my god Jarrett you're so annoying and then afterwards Dean goes for the cloverleaf but gets rolled up uh, Jarrett gets a two count top rope crossbody by Jarrett is rolled through by Dean for another two Jarrett reverses a sleeper into a shin breaker and locks in the figure four. Dean gets the rope and breaks it up. Oh, and I have to jump I have to jump in. My favorite piece of commentary. Dusty trying to build drama. Will he use the ropes? Yeah, he's he's right by the way. <laughs> he does. Yeah, Jarrett's positioning for the figure four is real bad. 
Dean has to pretend he's not near the ropes for a couple seconds to be drama. Then he just kind of looks to his right. He's like, oh, okay. He just reaches I love out. That. <laughs> there there we go. Go. The crowd is like basically Stockholm syndromed into, into popping for the figure four. It, like it has literally nothing to do with Jarrett putting it on. They're just like, oh my God, it's, <laughs> it's Ric Flair. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a catch ahead. So Dean goes down in the ring and Jarrett gets knocked to the outside Mongo comes down and tells Deborah Jared is fine. He's not fine. He's on the ground. Don't lie, Mongo. He rolls Jared back into the ring and takes Deborah backstage, saying Jared needs to finish it himself and that he's fine. In the ring, there's a couple standing switches, and Dean hits a double underhook powerbomb into a cloverleaf for the win. I think it's very funny looking at Deborah's face as uh, Dean's music is playing. She's like, oh, I thought you said he'd be fine. You're right. <laughs> I genuinely have, like... Mongo takes Deborah away from the ring and Jeff Jarrett loses will to live. <laughs> That's how abrupt that match kind of ends. Like he just, he just gives up. He's like, well, if Deborah's not here, whatever, just, just, uh, just submit me. I thought Deborah might even be a bit more involved in the match and then taking her away. You know, he loses his backup plan or maybe Jarrett could have shouted to the outside ring. Hey, where are you going with Deborah? And then get finished. But no, Jarrett just loses fair and square. In the I mean, I'd, I'd probably care more about, this kind of thing going on if it hadn't been going on for like four pay-per-views or whatever amount of time that they keep teasing how mongo and deborah and jared it none of it makes sense and it's even worse in like two matches time or however long it takes to get to a mongo's match any any storyline to do with the dungeon or the horsemen have been awful agree way too long I, I th- way too long. yep i i can't shit on this match too much because i just I think WCW does not know what to do with Jarrett or Dean, actually, because I think like Dean, when you look at it right here where we're at, it seems like he's a great target for the NWO because, you know, the whole stipulation of, oh, on on demand title shots, it'd, it'd be a great way to like get Dean over as a face here. It seems like they dropped that stipulation. Dropped. Forgot. You know, it's just, the same. Just dropped. And like, we see this feud actually continue. You, you would think like, oh, this is just a one-off match. no. Who booked this shit? Like, what's going on? <laughs> I don't want to see this again. No. Like, I I, so, I agree with you, Connor. Like, I don't understand why the NWO is like, well, we want the belts. So why isn't an NWO person wrestling, Dean? Anybody. Any yeah. of them. I wouldn't mind seeing, like, Norton or Buff Bagwell. Like, I would actually have Dean lose to those guys. Like, I don't... That seems like a great way to get those guys over. Like, the, the, the mid-card N- NWO guys to elevate their careers here. I think that's a great opportunity for... Yeah, I, I have the exact same note. Why aren't all the titles being contested by a heel faction? Why isn't everyone outside of the NWO not pretty much a face or a tweener and everyone in a, a heel going for the titles? And even if you don't have them win, you could have Dean like just escaping run-ins by the skin of his teeth, you know, getting roll-ups after some buffoonery by the plebs. And they just make instant matches. They're so easy to book. Anyone could book them. You have literally, literally a faction of a hundred heels that you're all paying a lot of money to. Why not just have Vincent be in a match and take a pin? I don't, I don't get it. JJ Dillon, man, he's 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 making sure everything goes by the book here. We need a horseman in this match. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, like it, it. It's not the worst match you'll ever no. see. There's no selling whatsoever from Jarrett, which really drags it down. It's probably one of the worst Dean matches we've watched so we're having a good night here for like guys who are like genuinely reasonably good and then have disappeared and had really bad nights 
we'll swiftly move on because I think we could bash Jeff Jarrett <laughs> all night. Swiftly. Swiftly is not what we want to be doing into this match coming on. <laughs> I love this match. Match number six. What? Meng versus Chris Benoit. The build-up is pretty simple. This is, for some reason, even though they've basically had matches where they murder each other, this is still the Dungeon versus Benoit feud. Sullivan is close to retiring at this stage. He just doesn't seem to be taking part in matches as much. Thank God. Meng has been built as this like monster, this killer, that even the Dungeon can't keep under control. So they've been building Meng decently for this match. Fortunately, he's not. The, the, the faces have not been wrestling together. Which is still, sad. He still has his gear, though. I've always thought Haku or King Tonga, whatever you want to call him, is a decent character and decent wrestler. Put him with the right manager and you can push him. He always seems to be forgotten, no matter where he is. His WWE runs were very similar, where they'd push him for a little bit and then they're like, ah, whatever. So Meng out first, and to everyone's great joy, he tells Jimmy Hart to hit the bricks. Get out of here. He doesn't need him. Before they even are off the ramp. And the announcer, Penzer, tells us that uh, the death match is just a last man standing match. That's not what a death match is. But I guess a death match can technically be anything. It's WCW just not knowing what matches are on their card. I, I don't know. what. Why is this so hard? It's like the commentators know what the match is, but then the refs think it's a different match. Or the wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're to blame for this as well. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, if you're going into a match where... There shouldn't be countouts, DQs, or rope breaks, which keep happening in this match. Rope breaks really kills the match. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, the the worst thing is that the I, I say last man standing match, but that's not what the Penzer say it says. He's like they have to answer the count of ten, and there's no disqualification or countouts. So Penzer lets everyone know before the match begins. Just open your ears, I guess, people. Maybe they're just not paying attention yep. to them. And to make it worse, the commentators make mention of the rope breaks. So yeah. they even point out how bad this this match is being taken care of. Chris comes out to a pretty good reception from the crowd, probably one of the better ones he's got. He's out with woman, and both of them are kind of selling how dangerous Meng is because neither of them look confident. They're not throwing up the four horsemen. They look genuinely concerned, and woman looks concerned for Chris. Chris also gets good music this time. Yeah, that's true. Mang does not though. Nope. He, like usually, no, he I not. I like the dungeon music for him, but it was like what what was it? It was like tribal crap. Savage I think it's music. leftover King Tonga music. Yeah, probably. Matches started very cautiously, kind of by boat men. Chris isn't jumping in. He's not just striking like he usually does. He's trying to feel out Mang, and he's selling. Anytime Mang hits him, he's selling it like he's hit by a truck. There's no countouts, but Randy Anderson counts anyway. Tony tries to cover this by telling us, oh, it's just habit. He can't he can't actually disqualify the person. It's just a habit by a referee. Which is a nice attempt at making the match seem like Bullshit. normal. <sighs> <laughs> Meng's grunting was in rare form for this match, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really was. Meng's chops and kicks looked savage. Now maybe they were just savage and he was kicking the guy, but his chops were excellent. They were playing off Benoit being a bit smarter. You know, attacking the knee a little bit or sliding behind Meng for a couple German suplexes. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to believe that given Benoit's noted uh, history with being willing to take a lot of pain in order to get a match over, I'm pretty sure he would have just told Meng to be as hard as possible. Which is not a good idea. Like, it, like no, no, no. It's not surprising at all if, if that's exactly what he wanted. So, Ask any wrestler 
that's still alive from the 70s or 80s, who's the toughest wrestler in the world, they won't even hesitate to say Meng. It's great timing because it's weird coming from the match of Jarrett's like awful selling to the brilliance of Benoit's like over like he's selling, he's sweating, he's squealing in agony, and the crowd just gives Benoit a standing O just after a single lead crab by Mang. Like obviously the Shara crowd like yeah. is firmly the favor of the horseman, but like still, like that's a hell of a thing to do of just selling one little crappy submission hold. Like I think Benoit yeah. does an amazing job this match. I I was actually going to point out that submission hold because not only does Benoit sell it very well, but Meng does a lot of small things. He doesn't just slap it on. It takes him a while to get the full mm-hmm. single leg. And then when Benoit is close to the ropes, he gives a little pull back. Benoit sells it like he's just like twisted his knee off. And it extends by a couple seconds. Just a fine piece of work by both guys. Pretty confusing moment, though, where Jacqueline just is at the top of the ramp, stares at woman, and then goes away. Let's not forget the all. really, really, really close-up view of woman's face at the end of it. She's really good at looking into the camera. <laughs> she is very good at looking straight into the camera. Don't look where, where you were supposed to be looking at Jacqueline or your, you know, a Chris who you're worried about is going to get killed by the savage. Just look dead into the camera. <laughs> so we get a couple submissions, unfortunately, broken up by rope breaks, which makes no sense, which, as Gus pointed out, the commentary points out. But mostly we get Mang on top of this match. Large strikes and headbutts leading to six or seven counts. On one stage, Benoit catches Meng napping, going a little too slow. Locks in a cross face, which again, Meng just kind of goes underneath the ropes and Benoit is forced to break up. At least Meng looks like he's trying to get out of the ring, which he does later with a cross face. But Randy Anderson just jumping on the breakups, which doesn't make any sense for the match. Yeah, one thing to note is that Chris is finally using the cross face because he hasn't used that in other pay-per-views and the commentary is put in over that this is his finisher. This is like the deadly move that he uses. So I'm glad to see kind of Chris is coming into his own right now and he has his own repertoire of moves. He does the impressive triple German suplex spot. Yeah. So like really cool. vintage Benoit is finally coming into his own right now. Yeah. I didn't know it started in WCW. I thought that was something he developed when he was wrestling angle and Eddie in WWE. I didn't know this. It started this early. Uh, Chris was using basically insane top rope Germans, plus I stab you in the side or whatever, suplexes, is almost finishes, and then a roll up or whatever. But yeah, it's we're starting to recognize the performer we see later. And he's I think he's looking a bit better and more polished in these matches. After getting pummeled to the ground in this match and getting up at eight, Benoit shouts at Meng. And then uh, the same thing happens again. And he gets up and shouts at him again. So we're starting to see kind of. Benoit's pluckiness is kind of the face of the match. And he does the signature Shinsuke Nakamura. Come on! Come on! (laughs) Is that all you got? Well, you almost died, but yeah. Okay. (laughs) Meng misses with a big boot in the corner, letting Benoit hit two no-release Germans before the third meets an elbow by Meng. Meng misses with a chop straight after, and Benoit locks in the second crippler of the match, Meng rolls out of the ring. This time, we didn't need the rope break. He basically gets out of the ring fully. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that one. Because he actually just actively gets out of the move. Which makes Meng look strong. It does, but Meng doesn't sell the crossface very well. I mean, probably not to his fault. I think his hair just is in his face, so it's just hard to see his face. Yeah, I I have the same note that Meng sells like the Germans and stuff well. Because sometimes he gets up a bit too fast. But he does not sell the submissions. 
Benoit hits a big suicide drive to the uh, dive to the outside, flooring Meng. Benoit gets crotched on the top rope when they get back into the ring, and Meng goes for what looks like a superplex off the top. Well, Benoit slips out the back, which I thought looked sweet, and hits a German with Meng standing on the first rope. This lets Benoit go for a diving headbutt, but Meng catches him in the Tongan death grip. It's a nerve hold, guys. It's holding the nerves. Woman is up on the apron, screaming for Chris to give up, but he passes out instead, and the ref calls it, which makes no sense. He's supposed to answer a 10 count. He didn't submit. He passed out. The whole point is to make them pass out for 10 Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> that's the end of the match. And a bit uncharacteristically for the dungeon, Meng just leaves. He doesn't beat down Chris afterwards. So it didn't even seem like a blood feud. Sullivan wasn't out to gloat. I don't, I don't get it. Yeah, story-wise, I mean, this match is awful. But yeah. as far as wrestling ability, I enjoyed this match a lot, more than I thought I would. And I think both guys are pretty over with this match. I think that's what it succeeds mostly at. And I'm actually looking forward to the rematch of this feud. It makes men look like really strong and it makes Chris look like the, the underdog coming up against a monster. So I don't mind the way it's built. It's just the logic of the stipulation, the feud that's supposed to be behind it. That's basically non-existent. It brings the marks for this match down. If this was just randomly Meng is a monster and Chris has to face him, it's a fine match, but that down by its storytelling match is fine i wouldn't really go any further than fine the storyline just really really kills any sort of momentum it has i really hate when they make claim that they're matches that are not it just really wrecks my head and it's real simple things like that that just ruin stuff because if if they can't have rope breaks then you can build something around that because you can build like oh my god if i get stuck in a submission hold i'm probably done because nothing can save me then. It, it can actually mean something then because you, you have to work around like, okay, I have to always pay attention to what they're going to do. I can't just rely on where I am in the ring to help me anymore. Obviously, Kevin must be building up to retire. They're just stretching things out. It, it just seems that Sullivan thinks he's a bigger deal than he is. He's like, people love this feud. They want to see us fight forever. No, we didn't want to see you fight the first time. Yeah, I'm much more a fan of having these two guys battle than him and Sullivan do the... Oh, agreed. <laughs> Absolutely. I would rather not have to deal with Chris wrestling the Dungeon of Doom for six months or however long it's been at this stage. I Yeah, I think we can all agree with that for sure. Feels like years. It's literally been a year. <laughs> yeah, it's been basically every pay-per-view that he's been on. Yeah, and I think it was going on a bit before we, we came as well. After this, we get a promo video for the Great American Bash, one of my favorite names for a pay-per-view. Again, one of the typical over-the-top kind of WCW pay-per-views I like. Basically, it's a bunch of WCW wrestlers at a barbecue. Notably, DDP is kind of headlining the promo video, which is, you know, they're they're seeing his potential. That's good. And Kimberly's, I think they've seen the potential in Kimberly. I'm like, hmm, this person looks, <laughs> she's pleasing to look at. We should probably feature her a little bit more. <laughs> wrestling in the 90s hmm that's a good looking woman stick her on stick her on the stage match number seven probably the third match that should be on a nitro steiners versus morris and conan did you guys notice is you morris wearing batman forever attire half of his attire is comedy drama comedy and drama faces the other half is question marks that's pretty much been his gimmick yeah, yeah that's what he's always wore yeah Rami stew actually had tights like that he had like question marks yeah. all over his tights too which does make sense because he's Mysterio. Like, I don't really know why Hugh Morris has question marks, but 
It's just it's just a question why this match exists. It's it's essentially garbage feud just to keep the stars relevant with the outsiders wrestling in the main event. Move on. Yeah, they 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 need the Steiners. What I don't get, and this is the match I wanted to point out, they could have just done the kind of Japanese typical thing and had the Steiners and DDP versus three NWO plebs and just had them mow through them. And then you keep them relevant. After the match, you can have like Macho Man try to attack DDP and then like bail when it doesn't go right. You continue all the feuds because the Steiners, you know, they're kind of feuding with the outsiders, but you can have them feud with the NWO as an entity and everything stays fine. Instead, you're putting Hugh Morris and Conan, who are nowhere near relevant enough to be on your pay-per-views, into this random tag team match that no one wants to see. I mean, you could have had the Giant and, I don't know, the number one contender to the world title on the pay-per-view. Oh, yeah, we haven't mentioned that guy. What is that guy up to? Just a thought. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Wouldn't want to outshine uh, Hogan while he's away, I suppose. Yeah, it's ridiculous to people not on this pay-per-view and the people that are. It's just such terrible booking. But this is mostly, and I can run through bits of it, but this is mostly a squash match. Scott handles you, Morris, early on the match easy enough. Rick gets tagged in to the absolute delight of the crowd who bark their brains out. <laughs> but he gets smashed for a few seconds by Morris, which I thought was kind of funny, uh, until he comes back with overhead belly-to-bellies and a sweet top rope flying clothesline. The dungeon get ragged off for a while with clotheslines and suplexes. We're starting to see a trend in this match until Hart trips Scott and they get the upper hand for a while. Morris with a pretty impressive Scott Sam, uh, Scott Sam, press Sam on Scott but he puts him like on the top rope and that looks nasty and was probably pretty dangerous. Scott's like throat hits first and then his legs. Surprised they, how much work was put on Scott for a bit. I mean, Scott's supposed to be the yeah. big guy. I thought Rick was always like the, the guy that you beat over for a while. It was almost the opposite here. What's well, something nice about the Steiners. I think they're both good at hot tags and usually you're right. It usually is Scott, but they have the ability to get the, get that shine on Rick as well. And he seems super over with the crowd or at least his barking does. Yeah, I, I guess it's because I don't think you can convey a lot of emotion. If Scott is the one taking the beating, he, he's not a sympathetic underdog. Correct. I, I think Scott's in relation to Rick. Bit, like, I mean, just to... right, right. I think Scott's offense is just more polished as well. Rick is yeah. just, he's not impressed me with his offense. I mean, he has the awful top rope bulldog, which we'll, Dave will get into in a little bit. It's just like, come on, Rick. You mean the one he misses? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The one that's basically not a bulldog. So we get some typical heel work by the dungeon in the corner, cutting off Scott for a while. But then they go for an assisted clothesline. Conan holds Scott in place while Hugh Morris goes for the clothesline. Don't know how this was ever going to come off because Conan stands directly behind Scott, so if anything, they were both getting clotheslined. But Scott ducks, you goes to the outside, and he hits a belly-to-belly on Conan. When both men are down, you Morris goes to top rope, tries to come off top, but eats Scott's boot for his trouble. Rick gets tied in, and it's clotheslines and suplexes for everyone. Rick hits a top rope bulldog on Morris, but as you guys said, hits very little of it. It doesn't help that his opponents don't seem to know what's coming or that it's his finish. And he isn't the legal man either, so that doesn't help either. I thought he got the hot tag here. Uh, Morris is not the legal man. Conan breaks up the count on Morris, even though you are right, he's not the legal man. The Steiners try and Irish whip the dungeon into each other, but Morris reverses and Rick hits Conan. While Rick is down, Morris goes for the moonsault, which Scott just watches. <laughs> it's 
kind of watches his brother get moonsaulted. Like, yeah, let's see how this goes. Luckily enough, Rick rolls out of the way. Scott hits the Frankensteiner on Morris, rolls out of the ring, letting Rick get the pin. Pretty throwaway, nothing much. This match is, yeah, throwaway. Although the the Frankensteiner did look nice by Scott. I, I was not expecting to see a decent Frankensteiner on the podcast. So, Yeah, when he doesn't murder people, it looks sweet. <laughs> it's a solid tag match as well. I, I'll give them credit. Like, it's not exceptional or anything. It's perfectly fine. It's perfectly average. Uh, I'll point out as well, like, I didn't mention that. They don't come out to the Dungeon and Doom music. Yeah, they come out to Hugh Morris' no, music, right. which is actually decent. I actually like that music. I don't know if that's again foreshadowing, uh, as we're about to about to talk about. The match, I think, is the epitome of fine. It's just why is this on a pay per view? Why am I paying to see Morris and Conan job? Because you got to show off Conan as much as possible, Dave. He's your favorite wrestler. Like. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on way too many pay per views. Again, considering Lex doesn't even feature in this pay per view, Conan is <laughs> is featured. This is also Morris's second pay per view match. Oh God! I just thought I just remembered his his first match. <laughs> uh, oh God! Get, get me away from that, Dave. What? Yeah, what happens next, Dave? Uh, get me away from that thought. Well, what happens next to everyone's shock and definitely everyone cares so deeply is there's a bit of dissension and arguing in the dungeon. Uh, hearts in the ring afterwards, wondering what went wrong. You got Frankensteiner, but you're wondering what went wrong. And Conan attacks Morris, DDTing him and leaving the ring. Conan is by far the weirdest member of the dungeon. The rest of the dungeon are all monsters. And Conan's a Mexican guy. Hugh, Hugh is a bit of a stretch as a monster as well, in fairness. He is, he is. But at least he's like a big he's guy. He's at least weird. Does weird. Like, he's things. meant to be yeah. not all there. So Misfit. I like I like, yeah. like we said, the Faces yeah. of Fear, they, they have Misfit-themed uh, gear. And it's like, yeah, Hugh Morris is definitely a Misfit. Yeah. So, yeah. And he enjoys Batman forever, so he's in the minority. Perfect. And then Conan, yeah, yeah you have a, this guy yelling, Arriba la raza. I, I can't even say it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he fits in so well with his gangster gimmick amongst oddities and weirdos. Yeah. And it's perfect perfect psychology, Dave. He's incorporating the tequila sunrise finally. Perfect. <laughs> it sounds almost racist. Like Kevin Sullivan cutting a promo. I got all of these and monsters from all across the world. We got these barbarians from the islands and we got like Hugh Morris. And why is he weird? Because he's Mexican. No one likes Mexicans. <laughs> it's real weird that Conan is in the Dungeon of Doom. But he isn't, he isn't anymore, thank God. Thank God. Move on, please. Match number eight of the night. Big hyped match. Mongo versus Reggie White. And this buildup is pretty simple and kind of booked itself. You know, they're playing off the massive rivalry between the Green Bay Packers and the Chicago Bears, one of the longest standing rivalries in NFL history. Mongo definitely established himself early on as the heel by cutting a promo on Philly, claiming White had sold out to sign to the Packers just to win a Super Bowl. Yeah. White had played for the Eagles for eight years before moving on. I know you did a bit of research, Connor, and you're you're the token American for the podcast. <laughs> Do you want to tell us the fun facts about the, the people involved? Yeah, for sure. I, I definitely will. I mean, obviously me being from Chicago and I hate Green Bay. So I'm, I'm, I actually am invested in this feud uh, per se. Although it is kind of weird that this feud is being paid off in Charlotte, North Carolina, where the fans don't care about this type of feud. So there is kind of a weird uh, booking to this match for sure. Does the crowd really care about White 
but they love the horsemen, so they should they cheer Mongo. It's it's a weird thing. It does feel like this could have been on a different pay per view, right? Yeah, or they could have done it on Nitro or something. They could have waited until they were in Chicago or something. Yeah, but I mean, nonetheless, though, I think what's cool about this match is they always harp on it's two Super Bowl champions they are facing off, which is you have guys that were teammates in 1994 and Reggie White. As right now, number two sack leader all time in the NFL. So you have actually real accolades here. Reggie White's actually a pretty nice guy in real life too. So it's a pretty natural baby faces first versus heel type match. So I thought it was really well built up, which is weird for throwaway football player match. Yeah, it's well built up. It kind of writes itself to an extent. And Reggie White is a legit all time great. They've looked out a bit at us looking back at it now, but they they didn't get this flash in a pan kind of popular guy. They got these legitimate, like, freak athletes, which is kind of cool, I think, as well. This feud is just a great way to get eyeballs on the product, for sure. Just getting all these big names of the NFL into your product. I had not heard about this match. The NBA stars brought more attention to it, so I'm, I'm sure this brought some fans into it. It just I, It was not on my radar at the time, for sure, though. Yeah, it's funny. Like I, I would have been watching football by this t- this point quite regularly, and I don't remember this at all. I don't remember it being mentioned. Now that's probably because it's a product of there not being the internet in Ireland uh, in the mid nineties, so it's not a thing you could look up. Uh, and I mean, our watching football was re- reduced to like clip shows and things. So yeah, it's it's really strange to think like not only is it like a big player, he's not even retired which I just find so strange about this whole situation. Like he's still going to play for at least another year after this to think that a guy who is pretty much at the top of his game. Okay. He's probably on the way down at this point, but you'd still want to protect yourself. Right. Do you really want to get into a wrestling match? Yeah. You think, you think the teams would be like, you're not wrestling. Fuck this carny bullshit. You're not doing that. (laughs) This isn't the era of people are starting to realize it's fake and criticizing it for that. But they're not to the point where they realize how dangerous it is. So there's stories in like Foley's books where up until a couple of years before this, you could get insurance money from companies that they're like, well, we'll definitely insure a wrestler. Wrestling's fake. So yeah, I'll take your business. And then they had to stop because they were paying out so much because wrestlers are always injured. They continuously work injured and they were getting too many claims. So I think... In general, people were still unaware about how dangerous it was up until a couple of years from now. Yeah, the, the, this feud was definitely not on my radar uh, going into like before before starting this podcast saying like, oh, you're going to enjoy the buildup of Mongo and Reggie White. I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, but here we are. I, I actually love the buildup. But unfortunately, the bell has to ring, though. So, <laughs> Dave, go ahead and call this match. This one's a doozy. So we have Mongo entering first, typical four horsemen entrance with Deborah. We have Reggie White out second. He gets some pyro and hella generic music. Super generic is what I have down here. What do you guys think? I don't even remember it, so couldn't remember, but yeah, it's it's Reggie's wrestling debut, as they call it. Whatever. Just give him whatever you want. Even WWF, like like they'll give the one timers like some generic yeah. music. So it's I think it's as a fan. It's understandable that you're going to have like these like weird debuts. Like, yeah, just give him whatever. We'll we'll be fine with it. Agree. I have in my notes here. Reggie is huge. <laughs> He's a big guy. He's the biggest man. Not huge. Huge. <laughs> huge. And like Mongo's not small. Like compared to other wrestlers, he's like the biggest horseman. And Reggie makes Mongo look small. 
again, it shows the difference between someone that's currently playing in the NFL and someone that hasn't played for a couple of years and probably slimmed down a little bit since they both played D-line. Yeah, a guy that just won the Super Bowl, what, a couple months before this. Yeah. Match opens with White outpowering Mongo, but Mongo out-wrestling White, which I think is a good setup. And the commentators are leading the match in that way as well. A few clashes where both men don't go down, but the third shoulder block on my favorite bit of the match, Mongo standing up straight, wags his finger at a, at White, but then just collapses straight to the canvas. I thought that was pretty funny. Yeah, it's a funky bit of selling. Horseman style. Yeah, it's very, it's very Ric Flair selling for sure. We get the three-point stance challenge after that. Mongo cuts the ring in half and says he wants the three-point stance challenge. Mongo outsmarts White here by cutting at the knees. In the second challenge, though, White leapfrogs Mongo and Mongo brains himself on the turnbuckle. White's not very good at punching. It's this weird kind of rib punch. Really? Reggie's not good at wrestling? Who would have known? (laughs) (laughs) Who would have thought? Usually they're good at (laughs) fake punches, though. He keeps, instead of punching Mongo in the head or chest or something, he keeps kind of getting him in the ribs accidentally. It's kind of weird. Mongo goes to leave, says he's had enough of this match with Deborah, but Gilbert Brown, the nose tackle at the time for Green Bay, puts Mongo on his back and brings him back to the ring. I thought that White was big. Gilbert Brown is like five <laughs> human beings, an actual Frankenstein. His traps are bigger than my biceps. It is insane. White hits a drop kick, which is probably like the best bit of the, his offense in the match. Mm. I'll, I'll, I'll say he, he does a better move better. I, I, I have in my notes, he attempts a drop kick. Mongo gets flustered with how bad it is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would be flustered too having to sell for such an awful dropkick. <laughs> we can't all be hardcore Holly. Mongo then plays the Jesus card. I didn't know before uh, before you sent me the show notes, actually, Connor, that Reggie White was a uh, yeah, minister. It's, it's his nickname. He's the minister of defense. <laughs> Mongo says, Jesus may have your soul but I have your ass now. And that causes White to instantly stop selling the armbar he was in and just throw Mongo out of the ring, which was real cheesy, but I get it. Don't you think it'd be a great time to finish the match? Oh, right about now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually think it should have finished about five minutes ago, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah, you when... think, but... All right, long headlocks from Reggie. All right, I'll believe that. <laughs> yeah, this is when it starts to really drag. Up until now, if there was a finish after this, like... Mongo gets back in the ring, a big move is hit, it's done, or Gilbert gets involved. I'm fine with this match. Like, they did the best they could with the two people they had, but it did not have to go on any longer than this, to be honest. After a crossbody for a two count, White locks in a standing nerve hold on the traps of Mongo. I have traps slash shoulders standing behind him like some kind of fierce masseuse. <laughs> Mongo sells the crap out of this. I have no doubt if, if Reggie White decided to squeeze my shoulders that I'd be crying in, in the fetal position, but it looked pretty terrible. And he promises he'll go to church? <laughs> yeah, Mongo promises he'll go to church if Reggie lets go. Reggie doesn't care. Mongo gets to the ropes. When the ref is telling Reggie to let go of the hold, Mongo hits a low blow, Ric Flair style. Woo! White hits a suplex, followed by a running splash to try and finish this monstrosity of a match. Deborah's on the ring apron, pointing to her ankle to distract the referee. I don't know why the referee is concerned with her ankle. 
Mongo goes for the halberton, which has been left on the apron, but Brown stops him. Just about, just about grabs the hal- uh, halberton off him. Jarrett runs down to the ring and throws Mongo a second one. I didn't know he owned more than one. And clocks White with it to get the three count. Got a style and profile, Dave. They listened to the podcast. They We told them to get a new one, and they did. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah, other one's too battered. Yeah. battered. The new one was also battered. <laughs> I don't know what they're doing with them. You know exactly what they're doing with them. Clowning fools with it. <laughs> so, so on all in all, like even though yeah. the match was like sloppy and awful, I actually thought this ending sequence it was actually the timing was actually pretty decent. Yeah, yeah. The end, the end was actually fine. I just wish it had come a bit earlier. Oh, we didn't yeah. cover it. It doesn't sound like it in our breakdown of the podcast, but there was a good maybe five to six plus minutes of rest holds. This match is fifteen minutes long. Fifteen. Fifteen oh, minutes. My God. <laughs> Probably 10 minutes of rest holds then. A lot of White putting a headlock on and then jumping up and down. Like, a lot of that. I guess it's your co-main event. To give you context, sorry to to put it again, Dave. To give you context, this was three times as long as the women's match. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) To to be honest, though, it's it's really not bad for a first match if you're going to critique it like that. WCW actually did, like I said, did a good job of booking this match all the way through. Decent reason to fight. Good cross promotion. I think the right man won. I, I, I'd like to hear what your guys' opinion in just a second. Match length overall, cut it in half at least. Terrible match, but as, as much as we rang on Mongo too, I thought this wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. Like comparing it to like past Mongo matches as well. Because he obviously has to be the general in the match. And I thought he actually did a fine job. Yeah, it, it's fine for what it is. If this match was five to six minutes shorter... I would say it's excellent for what it is. They use a guy that can't wrestle. They use his name. They promoted it well. Right guy won at the end. What right sequenced so Reggie doesn't look bad leaving and they could do business in future if they want. Mongo looked like a good heel and could do what, you know, Reggie probably had a couple weeks of wrestling camp at most. So for what it is, it was good. I just don't know why they wanted it to run that long. Probably because they were afraid people would be angry if it was just a five minute match there's the rumors on the dirt sheets i actually read up on that they after a couple minutes they they told them to go home but they didn't know what to do so they just ran through all their spots (laughs) i don't know if i believe that that sounds actually reasonable that that sounds very likely of what would happen because they're two both inexperienced guys like oh we don't know how to to improvise on the spot yeah 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 we, we don't know how to not do the spots we had organized for a week I will lay no blame at the feet of Reggie White for this match because how can you expect anything from a guy who probably had at most two months worth of training? I thought like, his suplex I mean, was really good too. By the end, like that, yeah. that's a good suplex. But like expecting anything from a guy who's basically never done it before and has to go out there and it turns out to a 15-minute match, I can't really complain with his effort levels. To be perfectly honest, he did a better sell job than Jarrett in Jarrett's match. <laughs> um, that shows you how reasonable uh, Reggie White was. So I don't have a problem with Reggie. Uh, the, the only problem I have with doing these kinds of matches, how do you book it so that like either the wrestler doesn't look like a complete idiot or make it mean something? I guess Mongo has to go over clean, but that doesn't make sense for his character. But... If he doesn't go over clean, you can argue that he's not good enough to beat a guy who's never wrestled before. 
And I guess it's just like, again, common sense getting the way in my brain that I can't kind of let it go. So that could be more of a personal thing. And then the final thing that bothers me is they've literally done this weird angle with Deborah and Mongo having kind of issues with Jarrett. And Jarrett just comes out like a goon and just helps him as if nothing has happened before. It's the summary of their whole relationship. Oh, two seconds later, they're yeah. coexisting. Like fair, like fair enough. Some up until now, it's been kind of like okay, a pay per view to pay per view for us, or nitro to nitro for you. But this is literally like twenty minutes ago, <laughs> and they've already forgotten their own story. They they do a reasonable job, but it's it's a tough thing. Like I don't envy them trying to run this because it can go wrong so very easily and the benefits of it are not so simple, I guess. Yeah, and he, he tried his hardest. Again, I agree with you, Gus. No fault of his own. But if we didn't enjoy this one, not sure what we're going to think of the main event and that has actual a lot more wrestlers in it than, uh, than that just did. Match number nine, we get the Wolf Pack. That's the Outsiders. And six versus Piper, Flair, and Green. So the build-up for this has been really interesting. As the commentators have said all night, it's kind of NWO that are anti-tradition, they're new generation versus the old generation. Kevin Green came in with a really interesting promo introducing himself to the WCW world and setting up this feud. I'll keep this short. Hogan, I did what you said. I worked out. I took my vitamins. And I said my prayers, and it worked. It worked. And you stabbed everybody in the back. You stabbed all the little hulksters in the back, and you stabbed me in the back. And then what do you do, Hogan? You surround yourself with a bunch of idiots they call NWO. These idiots are nothing but a bunch of rookies. Just like the rookies that are coming in the NFL now. They get that big money. They get that signing bonus, all that money in the bank. And they don't stay late, they don't come early, they don't work out hard, they don't watch any extra game film, and they're non-productive, and they're out of the league. But I want you to know something. Flair and Piper made wrestling. They indeed did. Flair and Icon were chopping tons and tons of wood and laying asphalt from now till kingdom come while you guys were still sucking mother's milk. And that's why I'm here. It's called respect. Respect. So very typically, it goes back to the foundation of the NWO. You know, Hulkster stab people in the back and Kevin Green's here to basically avenge it. So going back to all the way to the start of the, the podcast and why Hulk Hogan's turn was so important to wrestling history. I thought it was a decent promo for a football player yeah. to, to cut in the wrestling world because I can I can argue that most of the wrestlers can't deliver a promo this this well. Kevin Green is definitely a wrestling fan. Yeah, like. old school wrestling fan. I think I think this was fantastic, unless someone wrote it for him word by word. But it sounded great, and I was yeah, it I didn't was seem like that way. Surprised. I was I was real surprised when I heard it the first time. He also looks like a wrestler. He just has that perfect kind of... He doesn't look like he plays football. He looks like he's a bodybuilder, like wrestlers. Who was Kevin Green feuding with before he went returned to training camp? The Four Horsemen. Was it the Horsemen? 
so he had a match right before Bash at the Beach, and I think it was again, or it was like with Mongo, but Mongo turned on him. I think that was that was the thing. So yeah, yeah, Mongo took the money right for the four horsemen. So I th- I think they they've just forgotten about it, and that's and that's why we're just oh NWO is what we need to go against. I need to team up with Flair because he's a Charlotte guy, and Charlotte and Flair's back. That's the other big storyline in this. Yeah, we we got that big storyline. We got Green's back after. Or initially feuding with the horseman, he delivers this fantastic promo. Flair is back in his hometown. Great build for that. He's been gone for a long time. And Kevin Nash cutting another fantastic promo, blurring the lines between wrestling and real life. Last week, Roddy Piper came out here and said that he had laid asphalt and cut down trees. He called the NWO a bunch of morons and stupid and what have you. Well, Piper, let me tell you something. Coming from a guy that if he had one less synapse firing in his brain, he'd be in a coma, I don't think too much about that. When I came into this business seven years ago, I looked down the road that you guys paid for us. I saw nothing but potholes. You guys came into the business, you strip-minded, you took what you could get out of it, and you left the young guys behind you nothing. WCW was nothing but a bunch of guys pushing their sons. If you didn't have a dad in the business, you couldn't even get an opportunity. Scott Hall was here, I was here. Scott Hall was ready to become a superstar. Hey, I was a little green. But Scott Hall was ready to become a superstar, and you know what you did? He worked here a year, he proved himself, you cut his salary, so he went elsewhere. We went to New York, that's right. We went to New York, and what did we find when we got there? That's right, stayed all night, danced a little longer, party time. When we got there, there wasn't no party, just punishment for the guys trying to dig the business out of the funk you guys left it in. Wow. I was right. Pulling no Where punches. I come from, which ain't too far from here, south side of Detroit. You don't give respect. You don't get respect. You better beat respect out of me, boys. It's our turn to shine. It's the new generation's turn to shine. There's some young, young lions up here, and it's time for us to get more than a nibble on the carcass, boys. So while you guys decide to do the limo flying, the limo driving, the, the, the Lear jets, the champagne, the ugly broads. Me and my crew have decided we got no problem flying commercial. We got no problem piling three in a rented Taurus. Cause what we're gonna do, baby, is kick back, drink a little McForty ounce, and try the best we can to patch the potholes that you guys have left behind.
Notch again with a half shoot, but also as much as I'm enjoying this build up, the question is who are the bad guys? The old, you know, guards, the flares and the pipers, or the new guys that are just hungry to carve out a niche for themselves. I never get the narrative of these kind of storylines. Yeah, you said this was a good promo. I, I yeah. the way I wrote notes for it is I thought it was an awful promo just because it's he tries to he's like the face in the promo. Yeah, I'm not. Uh, it, it's it just, an interesting promo, but it's not. It's not a great one because I, I think it goes mostly over the heads of everybody. <laughs> I mean, even watching though, like he does the cheap pop of "Hey," when he did the promo, it's like, "Oh, this is my hometown. Clap for me," type thing, and it's like the new generation. Me and Scott Hall, we worked our butts off, and we're we want our opportunities. The old timers took it away from us. It's like this is kind of a baby face promo. This is kind of strange. Well, I think it would be babyface if it wasn't for how over Flair is. He comes off, I think, as the delusional heel who thinks that the old school ruined everything, where I guess he comes off as a, you'd call it nowadays, a millennial. Uh, it's not their fault, like, stuff is bad. They're legends. They've paid their dues. And he's, like, disrespecting his elders, where, in reality, he's not wrong. You know, a lot of wrestlers from that generation, and the main event when we talk about it is going to show it, take, 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 until until they have to retire i mean it's a very cyclical thing in wrestling yes so 100 i just think a lot of it just doesn't gel with the crowd like they're just not really sure what he's on about and it doesn't make much sense for what's going on like i see where he's trying to go with it uh, i find it entertaining that he tries to put across the men in the ring with him as young uh, because <laughs> Vincent is there and Jeff Farmer is there and I think Scott Norton is probably the youngest guy out of the other of the others. It's just odd. He might as well just say me, Scott, and, and Six. Yeah. Anytime he says stuff like this, he might as well go, not those guys, but us. The one thing I'll criticize about it is literally in his stable, the leader of his stable is the veteran that crushes the most careers. Like, a guy that is known for politicking and putting people under and just taking world titles, whatever company he's in. Hulk Hogan has crushed people's careers. This is what I was going to bring up, is that, like, you can read it as him having a jab at Hogan at the same time, because Hogan's not there for two months, and he essentially just leaves the thing behind because all he cares about is looking after himself. He doesn't give a shit about anybody in the business other than himself and so long as he's making money so when kev sees it he's like the fuck like we're we're trying to make a bunch of money here and you're just wandering off because you know we won't look as good and that's that's all you care about all right well fuck you then i guess i'll just go out on my own and just do whatever i want like it's hard it's kind of hard to argue with him because half the guys in the company are like this (laughs) yeah yeah it's, it's a fascinating promo from like the time that we're looking at right now and I, I will say too, like the two other interesting factors too coming into this is Scott Hall is back. So like we, there was a big reveal on Nitro. Oh, Scott Hall's back because they were all acting up that where's Scott Hall? Where's Scott Hall? Every week it's like we haven't seen Scott Hall for a while, and so he's finally back. And X Pac is really he's back in action. He's wrestling every week. He's defending the Cruiserweight title. He has a new finisher. He no longer has the B N W O music, so he's kind of graduated to bovine university no the, to the a team it seems and he's also been doing this kind of like shoot wise promos as well with nash obviously it's not as good because he's still xbox but still it's <laughs> some of his better work though honestly like he's been him and flair have been kind of like going back and forth with their promos and i honestly i was not expecting this to him step up and that's 
probably why he wants to get away from the cruiserweight division after this is because I've showed you that I can hang with the big guys, and this is kind of proof of it. Yeah, one of his promos where he accuses Flair of stealing... Uh, Buddy Rogers? Buddy Rogers, where he accuses Nature Boy of completely ripping off Buddy Rogers' his whole gimmick, which is he essentially has... I, I don't know the exact story, but I think Rick claims that it was not ripped off but given to him. But he uh, he just gets into actual real, you know, throwing daggers at Rick in his entire career, and they're pretty... Barb promos, and as much as I don't like six, I think they were great. They're a great, great piece of heel heat. It was just something different to to kind of the NWO as well. Like it's finally nice to see a new member kind of step up. It was nice that we saw Randy kind of step up last month, and now it's kind of six. So it's like, all right, we're we're getting new members. We're we're not just seeing Hogan every month here. It's it's new guys here. So that was another thing I was not expecting from WCW and this whole NWO angle. Yeah. He- with Hogan gone, a lot of guys have had to thrive, but they have thrived, I think. Michael Buffer, of course, is out for the main event, introducing the NWO, and does a pretty darn good job of it. I think he really talks them up. But they come out all together to the NWOA music, and they seem very much like a team, where team, I'll call them Team WCW from now on, comes out separately. We get Green first to, I have it down as marching band-esque music. Mm. Probably fair. Not great, but fine. He's hyped. He comes into the ring. If I were the NWO, I would attack him while he's in the ring alone with no other wrestlers, but that's just me. Piper out second, looking calm and collected to his usual big pop, sporting some new merch. Just says Icon across it, and a lot of people in the crowd are wearing it, so still showing he's very over. And, of course, Flair out last to a big pop in his hometown. Beautiful pink robe and some nice pyro the crowd are very hot for him, but not as hot as I thought he might be on his return. Maybe it doesn't seem like he's gone that long in real time. No, he gets a great he gets a great intro, I thought, from Buffer. And the pop is crazy. I think it's probably the biggest pop of the night. I think he gets a bigger pop when he wrestles. But that, that also mm, makes sense. Sure. Yeah, it, I mean, it felt like a big deal, him coming back. We haven't seen him since Fall Brawl, so it's actually been longer than I thought it was. Yeah, I miss him. We so you're going to get plenty ma- of them. So. <laughs> mm, great. We start to match off with Flair versus Xbox. And as you said, these people have been exchanging barbs and promos. I thought they might save Flair for a hot tag to get the crowd into it. But the crowd are loving seeing Flair back in action. Early advantage goes to six until he tries to go for Rick's strut, which is a no-go. He gets chopped straight to the ground. Six not looking bad uh, wrestling Flair. Really nice looking Spinning heel kick, probably the best one I've seen him do. And a couple chops in the corner. But Flair eventually reverses into some of his sweet knife-edge chops. And he does his strut and his taunt till Hall comes running into the ring. But he also eats a couple of chops. Flair then runs over to Nash, who no-sells one of the chops, but has this amazing, surprised, angry expression. Just looking at Flair like, the fuck did you just do? <laughs> <laughs> But never gets into the ring. Just like eyeballs Flair from across the ring, which I think kind of makes him look a little weak. Flair has probably the weirdest mom hair I've ever seen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I don't know what it is about, but it just kind of sits almost like a Lego head style. Six manages to do a crotch chop in this, which looks oddly familiar to a DX crotch chop. Yeah. Which I found interesting uh, since he hasn't joined that faction yet. Um, DX wasn't around at this point, though, right? 
Um, just they would have been just about with uh, Hunter and Sean. It's when Rude is with them, right? It's just that's about much. Now. That's much later. I thought. Well, it's like ninety seven, ninety eight, right? Yeah, Rude so, is like the first iteration. I thought. So it would it would be coming anyway. Like it wouldn't be ages away from yeah. here. But still, I just found it interesting because he just kind of does it as a like kind of a fuck you to to Flair in the ring, and you're like that. That's not what. Yeah. <laughs> Six tags in Hall after getting their, uh, the entire team gets theirs handed to them by Flair and taunts Flair until Flair tags in Green, who is pumped up, ready to go, <laughs> very excited to be wrestling. Hall spits on Green and tags in the big guy, tags in Nash. Nash beats Green in the corner with some of his patented elbows and knees. Green then comes out of the corner, hits a couple of clothesline, hooks out, and scoop slams Nash. No build-up, just slams the big man straight away. The crowd eats it up and is eating Green's energy. A couple things on, on Green I, we have to point out, though. Like, it's so funny to see, like, peak physical condition next to the two old yeah. flabby guys. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he is jacked. I mean, obviously, Piper, we know, is, like, not in great physical condition. Seen Flair, I'm like, this is kind of the Flair I remember as a kid. He doesn't seem like the great physical condition guy. This is like, this is like the old Flair. Green, yeah, it's just like impressive body slam. Although one thing he does poorly is he really does not know how to hit the ropes. I don't know if you noticed that. No, I, I put it a little bit down to how excited he is. He seems genuinely super excited to be in the ring with all these people. When Nash goes to the outside, the two other NWO members try and sneak up on Green, but he hits a double clothesline. Again, one member of Team WCW taking out the whole NWO group by themselves. They regroup and Hall is in against Piper. Piper's hip is all taped up. Hall slaps him in the hip to taunt him, but gets a quick slap back in the face uh, by Piper. Piper is pushed into the corner, but fights his way out, laying out again the entire NWO by himself. The third member of Team WCW has taken out the entire NWO. (laughs) NWO only get back into the match when the ref is distracted by Six and takes out Piper. Flair gets the hot tag and takes out the whole NWO again. Hall knocks Flair to the outside, where there's a real awkward exchange between both teams. I think Green messes up a spot here, before Nash finally just boots Flair and rolls him back into the ring. Flair gets worked over by a while by the NWO, including a Bronco Buster, which is becoming kind of more defined as a move. He seemed uncertain what to do. Six seemed uncertain about how to do it and for how long, but it's getting more of the classic one we've known again another hot tag by team wcw to piper who cleans house yet again nwo looking like absolute plebs in this match especially i have a note big kev like you can clean six and haul out all you want but kev is supposed to no sell stuff and be a giant but he's taking one punch from piper and hitting the ground like he's been shot the referee says that piper never tagged in so instead of being a good face and leaving the ring, he just clocks Anderson. <laughs> As he it should. It is a no DQ. It's a fucking no DQ yeah. match. <laughs> yeah, it's a no DQ match, which is mentioned at the start, like in passing. Not They don't say no DQ. They say the match must end no matter what. The whole thing about this match, this was a part of this, whatever, six-week buildup we had. It's very convoluted. So no DQ is a stipulation that was finally brought into it. Apparently the NWO is supposed to get like 70, 75% of the gate or some some crap sure. like that that they just totally dropped. The commentators did mention that so they could like, I think Brain says that at one stage. So he's like, oh, and that way they can get more leverage and broker more deals. Yeah, like, okay. Sure. People enjoy money. Yes, that is a thing. If you could take 75% of the gate, Brain, you take it, you know, with both hands. 
Don't you pretend to be on your high horse. All hell breaks loose at this stage. Green takes six to the outside. Nash brawls with Piper on the outside too. Flair and Hall left in the ring. Hall goes for the razor's edge, but it gets reversed into a figure four. Nash tries to break it up, but Piper locks in the sleeper. Six gets into the ring, but Green hits the most delayed power slam I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Nick Patrick comes out to the ring, and there's a lot of question marks over Nick Patrick. We don't know in the Nitros. He, uh, he's he been begging to be reinstated, but no one knows what side he's on still. We haven't heard if he's fully reinstated yet, right? Correct. So Nick Patrick is out to replace Anderson and slides into the ring with the commentary still questioning what's going to happen. All three of the NWO members are down. Six has been parasammed. The Hall is in the figure four and Nash is eating the sleeper. Nick Patrick counts three. I guess for six, six technically loses this because you can't count three for submissions unless Hall was also shoulders down. So all three members of the NWO lose at the same time. The biggest moment in WCW, according to Tony Schiavone. Yeah. So, you know the way Kevin Nash is supposed to be the bad guy, and I told you, you know, he's disrespecting his elders. Maybe he had a point. (laughs) Why did the NWO have to be buried? I don't have a good answer for it, because this match, like, makes me really angry for lots of reasons. After all the build and stuff about WCW and NWO, who's the guy who gets the pin? It's a random football player who's never been involved in the company apart from like two times. Great, great job. (laughs) Why are these people in this match? We've watched all these like really put together half-assed things. And instead of having like the outsiders defending their tag belts and six defending his cruiserweight belts, we get them in a six man where they get beat by two old men and a part-time wrestler. It really feels like a house show match. Like I wasn't supposed to see this on, on television. And that's why they're kind of like doing all this stuff. And it's not really a match. Like it's just bits of spots cobbled together. And that's really all there is to it. Like it's just, it's awful. Uh, <laughs> like after all these pay-per-views we've watched and this is the first time they get on top and you give it to Kevin Green and you don't even have Lex Luger on the pay-per-view. Like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on here? Oh, I'm so angry. So here's the here's the rumor that um that was spread around the dirt sheets that I'm not sure is true. Who who knows if it's true? The only way this this match was going to happen, the only way this finish was going to happen, was Piper said this needs to happen like this. It's like okay, because having X Pac in the match is like oh perfect guy. When I when I first saw the booking of this card, I'm like all right, X Pac's in the match so he can take the pin. My thoughts exactly. I'm like why is why is X Pac in it? Why is not oh because X Pac is still like high enough in the NWO that pinning him matters. He's still their only champion, or he's still a champion at the moment for them. He's starting to get popularity. It's not burying him because he's going to get, like, he's going to get figure forward by Flair, is what I assumed. You know, he gets figure forward by Flair and the other two hold off the, the outsiders. Makes perfect sense. Or, like, Lex runs in and, like, distracts the outsiders. Perfect sense. They made every person on Team WCW look stronger than all three members of NWO. How how do they gain credibility after this again? It's an ODQ match. Where's the rest of the NWO? Yeah. I'm just assuming that they're going to go, well, that wasn't a match because Nick Patrick counted, so it doesn't count. And they'll just carry on like it never happened. Because that's what they've done the last like six months whenever anything has gone wrong for them. They just go, oh, that doesn't count for the following reason. I get being cowardly heels, and I get you can't just have people running every time. But if you make a match purposely no DQ, 
you can't have me believe that Bischoff just won't be down with the entire NWO. Just beat the crap out of Flair and Piper. Yeah, with the, with the way this past month has been booked. Yes, for sure. And Green and Piper claiming the NWO is like finished and no more. If only that would that would be amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is how this is how it ends. I feel bad for the Wolfpack. At, like outside of storyline, I feel bad for them because they are the guys that are week in and week out. And I give Kevin a lot of shit when I talk about his backstage politicsing. But I can see how he got so bitter and just wanted to get money and leave because that's what everyone else is doing, and they all have positions of power over him, so they can just book terrible matches like this. So, Connor, when you're saying like that, Piper basically calls him on it. Is it just basically them going on? Well, Hogan's not here to fuck with us, so we're going to take our shot while we have it. You think? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Sense. I think it's just Piper flexing his creative control yeah. card. Every match that Piper has been involved in, we've had these kind of weird finishes. That's that's the only thing I can point to. Yeah, to be protected in some way. Right. Yeah. And and just yeah. Piper looked awful during this match. He looks so limited. When yeah. he came out, he's again he looks just visibly sweaty. Or if I don't think he pours a bottle of water on himself like you know Triple H does. <laughs> this looks like he looks tired. It looks like he did a couple push-ups backstage and that was him done. At least this match didn't have Hogan, so slight upside. I thought Kevin Green was entertaining. This is like the preferred way to have a celebrity yeah. or athlete participate like in a wrestling match. You can kind of protect him, have him in like a triple tag match. I mean, for sure, this shouldn't be. This feels like a house show match for sure. I thought X-Pac was the standout performer in the match. I, I know I'm an X-Pac mark for sure, but I thought he was probably one of the best wrestlers. Yeah, he was great. I thought Kev looked amazing. Sure. Like he his look to him. Like when when he got in the ring, I was like, man, I am not surprised Vince put the title on him when he did. Like looking at him going, he just looks the part completely. And he was fine. Like he wasn't as good a wrestler as uh, X-Pac was certainly in this match. But like him and Scott are just like, you just look at them and go, yeah, these guys are legit. And then they had to, do the job to two old OAPs <laughs> and a part-time wrestler. Yeah. And, and normally I wouldn't, I, I normally I wouldn't agree with you guys that like, oh, cause people throw that term around so much, but oh, they're, they're being buried or whatever. The NWO, they don't get any of their finishers in nothing. Yeah. Like I, I don't mind it too much. I mean, they, they have been protected a lot, so they're, sure. they're going to have to lose at some point. It's just, it's just the way they go about it. Like there's no elevation of anybody with that win. Right. Like this doesn't benefit anybody. There's also the fact of like it's the second celebrity person on this card. So there's already a glut of that as well. And then to make them the focal point really doesn't work. Like I get he's he's playing for Carolina. I get it still. The main thing that gets me, so if you want to book that ending, that like real feel good ending where, you know, Flair and Piper think they're above that part of the NWO, that's fine. I can get having that kooky ending where the crowd get to go home super happy. Every time that Flair or Piper took out all three members of the NWO, I got a sick I got sick a bit in my mouth. Two of those guys are like six six and six eight or whatever they are. Insane heights. Huge athletes. I thought as as Connor said, I thought the whole point of six was so you could have a weak point to pick out, you know, eat a bunch of the big moves, but I don't know what they were thinking. Like they they were just thinking of themselves. This this is like this has to be huge politicsing, like backstage. Do you know what they never mentioned once? Not in the entire show. Sting at all. Yeah. Oh god, yeah. And that's supposed to be like a big legitimate thing. Like and he's not even 
They don't even have him in the crowd. They don't have any reference to him. There's no mention of it. Everybody stopped caring. And it became a bit of a constant thing that I noticed with the the commentary from this pay-per-view. And it's probably, to some degree, the others. They just don't care about the NWO as that threat anymore. Like, things have just moved now to where they're just another stable. Despite the fact that they're essentially own half the company and storyline and it's just kind of become just just part of the furniture and guys are just wrestling random guys like if you're doing this storyline to its conclusion meng and chris benoit shouldn't be wrestling on the bottom of the card they should be fighting nwo like all these guys dean like we said dean should be wrestling an nwo guy there should be like a concerted effort not oh yeah they're just there yeah let's carry on i think i mentioned that earlier the uh, the other nwo guys they need to wrestle more wall street never wrestles and norton never wrestles buff bagel hasn't wrestled since our last pay-per-view match so it's like come on these guys need to be on tv i would understand if they were a bit thin or it was like the same guy fighting malenko for the title every time so we can't we have to have him fight someone new but there's so many members that we haven't seen for pay-per-views and they're paid well. Some of these guys are ex-WWF guys that were paid to jump ship. So that, that isn't a small amount of money. And we have more guys incoming very soon too. Yeah. They messed this up so fast. <laughs> I didn't know all the politics and all the weirdness came this fast. I thought this, like everything I heard was the first year was just solid groundbreaking stuff. But beyond the first week, this has been going poorer and poorer with only like slight flickers of good booking in between i think it's going to be interesting to see if it changes even a little bit more again when hogan comes back right because i wonder if his focus actually keeps that storyline in check and because he goes other people take their shots then to to go no i need i need my my pin now i need my my heat back kind of Mm -hmm. thing yeah typical i need to get my heat back stuff is what it feels like yeah, I, th- I think the bottom line, too, with, with all this is this is kind of treated as a throwaway show. As we go back, the NBA playoffs are going on. So they just don't treat this as a main pay-per-view, really. And it's it's, it's unfortunate, but yeah, that's just the way it, it's seen. And hopefully less people see it kind of like sold out. It's like, oh, not many people saw it. So we don't have to care about it as much. Yeah, it, again, it seems like they're doing things in halves because I do agree. The rest of the card shouts out you know, we don't care. This is throwaway. And if you look at the next card, not to spoil too much, there's a lot of repeat matches, which shouts one of these was a throwaway pay-per-view. Or both. But at the same time, you have... The, or both. But then you have all these really expensive football players because you you probably have to pay the football players quite an amount. If rumors are true from, you know, some of the stuff that the outsiders said later on in their careers, they were very happy when these football players and stuff came in because their contracts would have to be matched for the night for that. So they, they're getting paid more than the wrestlers to come in. You're spending that mo- much money on a throwaway show? I, I think we could rag on this all night and the massive holes that are appearing in the booking. But I'm going to just ask you, overall, Fergus, what did you think of this show? Uh, really disappointing. Some of the wrestling is fine. But overall, the, the storylines and common sense and stuff really drags it down for me. Uh, I wouldn't recommend the show as a watch at all. Re- really, really disappointing. And after seeing it, whose side are you on? Oh, the NWO. Because <laughs> they're the only people that seem to be like paying any sort of heed and want. Like I want to see Kevin and Scott in actual matches and six. I don't want to see them wrestle Flair and Piper again. 
granted that's exactly what's going to happen but that's beside the point (laughs) (laughs) those guys are genuinely capable of good wrestling matches and they're being wasted and i'm not surprised that historically what's going to happen happens now because you can see it a mile away if you You, you, pay attention at all forming yeah Yeah. connor what did you think of the pay-per-view as a whole yeah very very throwaway pay-per-view for sure at least a few a few positives that i can think of at least we progressed some storylines in the mid card which we a lot of the other pay-per-views we can't say that has been done something i've noticed a lot when watching all these pay-per-views i'm getting tired of all these shows being over two hours and 45 minutes i checked out just a normal wwf pay-per-view from the same month hour and a half that sounds amazing. Boom. Give me a pay-per-view that's like two solid hours. So th- that, it really wears thin, especially when we talked about the Reggie White match. Way too long. Doesn't need to be that long. Again, that part of these WCW pay-per-views are really wearing thin. But yeah, not really a great show. I can understand why this show doesn't get talked about very much. Very forgettable. As for whose side I'm on, I'm also on the NWO side. At least their characters are evolving more this month. It's weird to think that X-Pac has had more matches than Hall, Nash, Flair, Piper combined. I know X-Pac's my boy, but come on. You have to be on the side of the NWO now. He's putting the work. He's putting the work for his character. Come on. He's great. Yeah. I'm going to have to go for the triple header here. I'm on the NWO side. I just feel terrible for them after they got crushed in that match. So unfortunate for those guys who seem to just been trying their best to get this storyline over. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget... Follow us on social media. You can find us on Twitter, where we're most active, and we put up a lot of polls. In the last couple of weeks, we've decided to do a Vader special in the future, and we ask you to vote on what matches you would like us to cover for that. Connor, on what other social media can they find us? Well, they can find us on Facebook. We don't really post that much on there. Uh, Instagram, that's a, a fun spot to follow us there. We put, I put a lot of different, like, either gifts, little small videos, or pictures both of those WCW versus NWO podcast. We also have a Vimeo page where we've been doing special video bonus episodes. Maybe we'll do the, the Vader episode on that. Lots of good content to cover from Vader's career. He's been a, a really icon of the business. I really appreciate his work. I didn't really think about it until now. So I'm hoping we get to cover that in some form, maybe on our Vimeo page, maybe on our podcast feed, but that's how we're going to do it. But yeah, you can find the podcast pretty much on any Avenue. Hopefully there's an avenue that we haven't covered uh let us know otherwise you know itunes you can leave us a review for that and we'd really appreciate it but that's us for another edition of the wcw versus nwo podcast from me connor and gus thanks for listening and join us next time when a great legend comes true